The intermediate line advises a language and concept warning for the entire show. Hello, Hugh and Oliver from Newcastle with your tip of the week. You're having trouble with those pesky brim? Chuck on a mop fly, douse in a bit of X-Factor scent, and you're guaranteed the bite. Enjoy the podcast. This episode of The Intermediate Line is brought to you by Manic Tackle Project, the only company who knows fly fishing as well as you do. And Beast Brushes, Australian-made brushes and dubbing, professionally graded natural materials, plus a full shop for all of your fly tying needs at beastbrushes.com. Jump the starting line. Holding that stallion. Wait for the starter's pistol. It's already gone, mate. Did you not That's... hear it? <laughs> you do that every time. I, don't I know do every time. <laughs> I think it's really fun. Uh, how about that intro, mate? I'd like to um, officially distance myself from any act that uh, human performs on the pool staff. <laughs> And do not condone that, uh, but do not um, judge anyone on their lifestyle either. Well, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. He doesn't actually disclose what he's doing in the pool room, the pool board. No, no, could be playing pool. Could be. It could just be, you know, sinking balls. Yeah, you know? pot in the black. Yeah, <laughs> slipping back. Mm. But yeah, pot in black. So no, um, nobody knows. Who knows? Yeah, didn't really mate, sound like Ewan. I've only met him a couple of times, but don't remember him sounding like that. Mate, who are we to judge what a man's voice sounds like? All we can go by is the way that they announce themselves. <laughs> to me, that was Ewan. 
particularly okay. in, a, in an audio format. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You close your eyes, it could be anyone. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Maybe even a pool boy. But anyway. Ah, who are we to tell, mate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty uneventful a- week, mate. Yeah. Same here, mate. Just mm. been uh, nose to the grindstone doing some work. Just so. waiting for school holidays to finish. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like we might get um, a little bit of a lockdown coming up. Who knows? The smart money's on that. But, Is yeah. that your forecast? Oh, I think it's everyone's forecast, mate. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be right. Let everyone go up here and grub around on school holidays and crowd the waters. And then as soon as everyone goes back to work, let's lock them down. So those people who want to fish while you're at work can't. <laughs> it's all good, mate. It happens. Yeah. It's uh, We're all part of the community. We're all suffering at the same time. Whatever, mate. I don't care. We're all in this together. ScoMo reckons. Yeah. yeah. Just like the yeah. song. Yeah. Great song. Great song, mate. You hung yeah. a few bars? No. Good one. That was a good answer. Wouldn't that was a, touch that was a trap. Yeah, good. Yeah, saw that coming. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Admiral. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie dear. McDear dear. Uh, dear. Yeah. Funny you should bring deer up. Because mm. um, tonight... We'll, uh, we'll be talking in depth to a, a deer hair aficionado. Yes. Yes, we are. Yep. Yeah. So um, are we ready to turn into what we're talking about in the interview yet, or was there something else you want to talk about in the in the, in the intro before we move into, um, you know, putting in our big boy pants and talking like adults? Yeah, being serious. Yeah. Yeah. Look – I was going to touch on it briefly and then pull away from it, hit you with something left field, and then return back to it. So, oh. So that people – but you're sort of blowing my cover a bit, man. Like Sorry, I, mate. You know, oh, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I believe that you're, you know, you're uh, that much of a chameleon that you can adapt to the uh, to the onslaught that's presented towards you. Yeah. Yeah. Chameleon is, uh, is a good word. Um, to describe the scenario that I'm, I've got a hypothetical one for you, mate. Mm. Okay. So, you're fishing the flats, all right? Mm. You can, can you picture this in your mind's eye? Yeah. You have a decent yep. shot at a fish. You're certain that it's seen the fly, all right? Right. Okay. But it doesn't eat, but it doesn't spook. What do you do next? I stopped fishing for carp. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you didn't say saltwater flat, did you? You know, no, no. It does but, sound like a carp thing to do. I know, yeah, I know. But you sort of, I guess, you defaulted to your freshwater roots there. But let's let's just keep. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to just... point out I haven't had dinner yet. You know, so. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, you're hungry. Yeah. Let, let's let's put that rider on there. This this fish, this flats fish, is uh, is your dinner. <laughs> right, and you're hungry. All right. So, yep. But you got to catch him. So, what are you going to do next? Or what are your options? Do you do you present from a different angle? Do you do exactly the same presentation with the same fly? I've got some questions, mate. Yeah. Go. Am, uh, am I am I lining my chances up for the next fish, or is there some reason why this fish is tethered to a stake in the middle of the flat with a rope around it doing laps? Am I going to get another shot at the same fish? Is that what you're saying, or not? 
Or is this the yeah, hypothetical scenario? Let's say, I, let's say I get another shot at the same fish. Is that what you're saying? Or yeah, yeah, you're going to have another shot at the same fish, right? Okay, so let's assume so, so that in this in this hypothetical scenario that I get another shot at this fish. This fish wasn't aware that I was there, although it saw the fly, yeah. right? Let's mm-hmm. let's even like add a bit more color to this scenario and say that I was fishing a fly um, that was on the bottom at the time, yeah. like a crab fly or something like that, you know. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I was fishing it like a crab fly, so you know I might have been fishing it um, static. So this fish might not have been. I'd be starting to think this fish might not have been up on the flat feeding. Might have been transient, maybe, perhaps. You know, yeah. Um, it would definitely for someone like myself who doesn't like to do many fly changes at all. I'd rather blame the angler than the fly. Um, I would look at that as as in the definite fly change. If it saw it and there was no doubt about it, and that was just that one fish I was going to get a shot at. Yep. That really does play a big part in my answer because if I thought thought another fish was going to come along and I knew that that was their fodder, that fly that I was chucking at it, I would put it down to the personality of that fish and go, you know what? Fuck yeah. But um, get another shot. But if it's the same fish, I'd probably um, I'd probably have a crack at some, like a, you know, a bait fish pattern, try and get a reaction, you know, or something like that, you know, shrimp or something like that, even if it's um, if it's that type of species, like a goldie or something like that, you know. But if it's a queenfish, you know, I mean, queenfish, you could fish with a crab. If you just seen queenfish come up and um, you only had a crab on, you'd still chuck a crab at it, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, that that's always a moderating factor. You know, you might not have time to change to what you think is the ideal scenario. Can you make that, can you make that crab almost behave like a shrimp in that regard or maybe even a bait fish, you know, like... Depends on the species, eh? I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect a discerning species like a permit. I mean, stay tuned for my article, you know, about permit. Given my, my, Are my you doing one. Work? Oh, absolutely, mate. You know, I feel, I feel just um going away and um and, and paying someone in in an area that I don't live to catch one warrants me to be able to write an article about it with all authority. You know. Um. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's don't turn this into a anyway. Into- um (laughs) uh, it's all fun folks it's all entertainment um yeah i don't know man like i guess you could you could fish a crab but if if a fish is going to eat a a crab fly that's stripped like a like a bait fish you know that that fish is uh is a a type of species that's just going to react to movement and use it's probably use its mouth like its hands and just go what are you you know Mm -hmm. you know i can't really think of any any species i mean the only fish i can think of that would be that dumb and and that's probably the wrong word but that that (laughs) that active would be a goldie at a certain time of the tide you know do you know what i mean like right. it's um that's the, um, that's, areas, the yeah. that's the yeah in some areas yeah yeah for sure that's the only fish that i've seen that just goes stupid at, a, at like for you know a small very small period of time at a certain stage of the tide you know I, and certain, I would certain wager, tides i would wager that a, a gt smaller than say 40 or 50 centimeters oh yeah yeah They're that's a good point savages man yeah you know? Yeah, they'll yeah. they'll eat anything for sure. Yeah, but that's that same reason they'll they'll react to movement. They they may that same fish may not pick a crab up if it's just static on the bottom, eh? That's true. Might not. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's an interesting scenario, mate. What would you so, do? Well, yeah, that, that's that's a good question. I mean, you you answered my question with some more questions, which was what I was hoping you'd do. Because um, it's there's no real hard and fast rule, mate. I don't reckon. Yeah, yeah. It d- sort of depends on the species. It depends on 
you know, the um, like you said, it might might be a chance of swimming off. Um, that individual fish may or may not be in the the uh, the the mood to to feed, but you know, just as as a as a thing of um, as a what sort of options you've got to to change things up? You know, you can change your fly, you can change your retrieve, you can change the direction of the retrieve, the cadence of the retrieve. Um, yeah, you know, lead it even. Yeah, you could, you could. Yeah, you could start that reaction from a distance where it's not sure what it is when so it has to come and over and look. Sometimes yeah. you could you could make them commit to something like that as well. Do you know Keep what I mean? It on the edge of its, you know, the peripheral of its um, awareness. Yeah. Yeah, but you could you lose know. it just as easy. That's for sure. But. You know, you probably wouldn't open up with that approach, but if you had the ability, like you're saying in the hypothetical scenario, to have another shot, you know, yeah. that that's definitely, um without changing your fly, that's, I mean, let's say you had a clouser on and you led that thing and you, and, and it swam out, you led that thing perfectly and it swam over within a foot and you start mm. stripping it and it just, and it, and it leaned and just kept swimming, you know, then your next scenario would probably be, you could either, you could either attack it and try and knock it in the head or you could try that scenario of just sort of, Peaking its interest a little bit further out, like a like a mm -hmm. like a like a bait fish would, you know, would see it coming from a fair way away. Well, they'd probably see each other at the same sort of time, you know. Mm -hmm. That'd be a natural reaction, perhaps, maybe. I don't know. Um, interesting though, like um, you know that, that that reaction. By I was speaking to Jimmy Caves the other day, and um, um, talking about the way he fishes for brim. Like, I mean, that's I mean that's a fair enough species in this scenario too, right? Yeah. Yep. They're very intelligent. Very, oh, very, yeah. Um, yeah. So is Jimmy. Know. Jimmy Smiler, actually. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy brings. Yep. Yeah. Um, Jimmy brings intelligence to the conversation. That's right. He does. In respect. Yeah. yeah he's good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> he like the you, you've all seen his flies. Like he's he's a very unique fly tire for Brim and very um very thought out and very unique in his approach, but has great results. Um, so with his flies like he'll fish for brimming like just enough water to cover their backs but fish mid water column for what it is for those fish in, in an aggressive fast strip you know won't it's not he's not getting them to pick it up off the bottom he's sure. getting them getting them to chase it down and he, he he that without realizing where i was going when i said you know you could lead that fish and, and start trying to get the reaction from a further distance away within reason you'd, you'd mm. have to have the experience to be able to read a fish and understand that species whatever it is but for those brim, that's that's what he does, you know. Like he won't let them get a look at the fly too too good, you know. He'll he'll get them in a in a position where they see it move, and won't let them look at it for too long, you know. And and um, I mean he's not he's not exactly um, committing genocide on brim down there. No one ever is, but he gets great results doing that, and better than letting him have a good look at it. So yeah, it's sure. along those lines, eh? Yeah, well, that, that's an interesting approach to those those fish in that scenario. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's almost, you know, uh, if you had to categorize a presentation, you got, you know, imitate, motivate, irritate, you know, there's some, some of your angles, I guess. Um, so yeah, I think it's an, an interesting one. You, you've, you, you've got those options basically. Yeah. Uh, there's also stop, collaborate and listen as well. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next one? I don't know, mate. Jimmy's back on a brand new mission. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you need to stop Jimmy time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's too legit to quit, mate. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> 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 How do we get onto that? that I don't know. Don't know. Yeah. You said you could imitate something else, Tate. Much, and it just made me think motivate, of collaborate, irritate, collaborate, and yeah. listen. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of listening, the guest we've gone tonight. Let's we should get back onto that, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Um. So we've got uh, yeah Mark Burns from Urban Flyco, who's um. Who's a, who's, a, who's a friend of mine, a friend of ours, I guess you could say as well, you know, like it's, um, mm. and, um, um, yeah, Mark is um, a, a full-time commercial fly tire. He's also a guide who operates uh, out of, um, oh, Jesus. How do you say uh, it, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's on the Susquehanna, like, com- completely, but, um, sorry, uh, Shen- Shenango Valley, which is the name of their podcast, Shenango Valley Shenanigans, or SBS. Sure, um, right. So yeah, that's... so he's got to be somewhere around Shenango, you know. Yeah, Shenango. I like the sounds of that. Yeah. 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 Um, so, Mark, that's what Mark does for for a living. But Mark, um, Mark also has been. Uh, I've had many conversations with Mark in regards to um, uh, bucktail and um, bucktail flies. And um, yeah. um, I don't know how long ago I started tying them when I was ammo flies commercially. Um, it must have been five years ago, or maybe something like that. That Mark taught me how to tie those and the principles involved in them. Um, a couple of other guys as well, Ken Caspi as well, and um, and Dave Sullivan as well. Like they helped me out, but Mark definitely put a lot of time in in with me. Um, and um, you know, consequently, we you know we had yeah. we had plenty of conversations in regards to bucktail and my my needs for it, his needs for it. You know, yeah. and I hope we go into that a little bit with the show, like because it's very different. Um, yeah, um, but well, it'd be good to sort of learn learn about you know what he does the the species because a lot of the the pike and musky flies are influencing modern day uh murray cod flies as well and to a, to a to a degree barramundi flies a little bit as well yeah barramundi yeah, yeah. a little bit different but um but as far as um the parallels between hunting for murray cod very different species and musky very different species again the yep. tech the techniques and flies do cross over sure do sure do yeah, and it, it sort of feels like a lot of these techniques, or more to the point, natural materials are, are sort of like ha- definitely having an ara- uh, renaissance period here too. You know, they're they're back they're back on trend. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, with the availability of of the right types of of naturals, um, people are you know trying different techniques, creating uh, you know different creations, and more to the point, they're sort of. Um, they're understanding their proper use, what's possible, and you know, pushing pushing the uh, design limits with that. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people are influenced by those that are spending time on the water. Let's say to create, um, you know, to create these creations. Because I mean, it's out of, you know, I'm sure that if there was someone who could replicate bucktail in a synthetic form, it would have been done by now. Absolutely, never going to happen. That's for yep. sure. One is because, like, I mean, you could model off one tail, and it's not going to suit every fly, you know. Mm. So it's just there's just no way that you could um, you could uh, replicate it. So you know, guys like Mark uh, and other guys that are like um, successfully, you know, re rehashing and re, re sort of doing these patterns that are that are old and around, are the guys that are spending time on the water and actually learning what they are guarantee you mark does not have a test tank let's put it that way if you know what i'm saying if you're you know smoking one and rolling you know what i'm saying 
But, um, I hear. I hear. Not, I mean, like, you know, again, not trying to tell anyone how to party, but, um, you you know, the things you can learn from actually fishing these flies compared to, you know, watching them in front of a, um, a pool jet <laughs> is, um, is, is a lot more. That's for sure. That's, uh, so yeah, look, it's, um, I hope that we can, we can, we can cover some, some educational topics in regards to Bakhtar just through a matter of discussion. That's for sure. Yeah, no, it'd be really interesting to hear. Mm. From him, um, I've got I've got a lot of questions that I've, that I want to ask. I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll be honest, man. I might I'll probably have more afterwards, or or you know, probably on reflection, I'll I'll go. Oh man, I wish I'd asked that. So, well, I'll tell you what, man. I'll give you some advice. Just just slot yeah. the questions in if they feel natural. If yeah. not, write them down. Cur- you know, get the piece of paper, just scrunched up in a little ball, and just yep. swallow it. Swallow it. Gotcha. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah, or just ask them at the end of the show if you like. No problem at all. Sounds natural, Tessa. And I can put on I can put on a fantastic American accent. I don't know if you've uh, heard me on the SVS podcasts, um, but I've spent quite a bit of time blending in with the natives in um, in Susquehanna. Yeah, really. Yep. So if you got any questions at the end of it, I'll put on my best, um, probably my best Chad Bauer accent, and uh, yeah. I'll answer any question you like in an oh, American wow. accent. Sounds good, man. Sounds promising. You're welcome. No, I'm, I'm happy to put that effort in for you. I'll be uh, dying to, to download that one. Have a listen. Hey, mm. dude, um, just so I can do my homework beforehand, the guy's called Urban Flyco, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah, Mark. So, uh, yep. so you'll find that Urban Flyco on all social media. He's also got a website as well. And don't forget, if, um, you, know, if you haven't heard the SVS podcast, Man, those guys are, are legends, eh? Very casual, very uh, no agenda, you know, just what we like, you know? Just um, dudes just sitting around talking fishing. Pretty cool bunch of guys. Sure are, yeah. Uh, I'm going to put a little bit of a warning in. Like, uh, I might get a bit charged in conversation in regards to bucktail. It's something I feel very passionate about. It's, um, I had to, learn a, had to learn a lot about it to, um, to be able to, you know, tie flies for people that are paying good money for me to tie them commercially which i don't do anymore but mm. um yeah was a, was on a bit of a journey leading leading up to um be able to source good tails for for beasts you know but um yeah so um i'll be looking forward to that mate I've, I've forgiven you in advance for for feeling strongly about something um you know, oh, I know. It, i'm gonna hold back mate there are some a lot of things in regards to the way bucktail gets done in australia that um that i'm just gonna try and Keep it under wraps, mate. But, you know, I'll just let you know I still could get a little charged. <sighs> well, okay. Mate, you know, the when the red mist is falling. Um... <laughs> 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 All good, mate. I'll, I'll... I'll earth myself out <laughs> before the show. I wonder how many people tune in to go, is this the week that Chris finally loses his shit? <laughs> <laughs> You, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to find out the hard way by listening. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I've never, I've not raised my voice once on the show. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm. Above what you normally do. Yeah. Yeah. So. Which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, take it, take it what you want. Well, you know what the thing is, mate, at least, at least I'm not uh, putting on a charade, you know, you know, you know what you get with me. I shoot pretty fucking straight. Mm-hmm. Let's face it. But, um, yeah, and at this age, man, I pretty figured that uh, it's not going to change. No, you're comfortable Suck on with that. Yeah, there it is. Suck yep. on that. All right. 
<laughs> Look, I hope people get a lot out of it. Mark's a good dude, and um, and I hope we can make a good interview with the dude for sure. Yep. Let's do it, eh? Yep. Let's get him on the line. All right. Hey, try not to be so Aussie with your accent either. It might it might startle him, hey? Oh, I don't think he's used to it, hey? Like, no. It would probably confuse him. Like, I don't know. He's, he's probably used to, like, Canadians and, you know, fucking yeah. Indians and stuff like that. Maybe so. drop a few A's in there at the end. Hey. Hey. You're a good fly tie, hey? That's <laughs> wisdom too, don't we? <laughs> All right. I'll probably know. And we're back for another week of SVS Podcast. How was that? Pretty good, eh? That was, that was for the chat. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But with us tonight, today, for the show that you're listening to, whatever time you're choosing to listen to it, folks, we have with us Mark Burns from Urban Fly Co. How you going, Mark? Good. What's going on, guys? Well, hey, mate, not much. It's uh, it's early morning over here. We're uh, we're we're blending in with the time difference, but I think we're doing a pretty good job so far. I'm sure you got Bloody Marys and uh, mimosas already rolling, don't you? VB, <laughs> with just a little bit of lemon in it in the mornings. We uh, we like to take it light. VB's mm-hmm. VB's the uh, national drink over here, Mark. It's uh, <laughs> kind of like your your Pab's Blue Ribbon, you know. <laughs> You know what? V- VB is so popular over here. They didn't need to make a light version of it. It's just full strength the whole way. There you go, Australia. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And um, look, uh, I hope I, you know, like uh, over here we we say Mark, but what you you say Mark, Mark? Yeah, that's um. But, Mark, how's that again? Yep. Mark. Mark. Yeah. G'day, Mark. That's how we say it. Sounds like, sounds but, like an Italian on the Jersey coast would say it. Mark. <laughs> Yeah, forget about it. Yeah, forget about it, Mark. Yeah, um, but I think there's something we can all bond on that uh, that if we were in South Africa, you'd be called Mork, <laughs> just like Mork and Mindy. Where's the O come from? I don't know. That's a good question. I've always called we, myself Mark, like Mark on the board, or I don't know, check Mark. Yeah, <laughs> that'll that'll do the trick. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think we're, we're, yeah, we're, we've hit the nail on the head. So, mate, I think uh, it'd be good to expand on, um, on uh, off the bat, what you do now. So, what, what is it? What is, what is Urban Flyco, mate? What are you doing? I now, majority is, I'm full time, but I, a majority of what I do is fly tying and guiding. So, local to my area, I guide mainly musky pike and smallmouth bass. But I do that full-time now and tie musky flies, predator flies, pretty much anything in the five-inch and above range, swim bait style, and kind of a variety from there. But it's all derived from bucktail. I do very little that it isn't bucktail-oriented flies. Yeah. So, so you're quite specialist about the, about the flies that you tie, and it's all centered around um, the fish that you guide for, which is also the, the style of fish that you fish for recreationally, right? Very much so. Yep. And everything that I tie stuff that I've fished for the last year, you know, how many years and stuff that I've added in that I've worked with for a couple of years before I put it out. I mean, same with stuff coming in the future, but it's all, 
it's all derived from bucktail oriented around it bucktail feathers and flash of some sort but i mean you know how it is i mean when you're fishing and you're using your own flies you're always going to come into a scenario and that scenario is going to be like okay well here's what i got to do and i don't have something that is going to fit to get there and then you find a fly that works for it and then you work with it for a while and tweak it and make it your own and figure out how you need it to get exactly what you're doing and mm. then you get it to where it's you know putting fish in a boat on a consistent basis and that's part of the arsenal and you fish new water and another scenario presents itself and one thing leads to another you time 25 30 flies before you're not <laughs> yeah you're in a you're in a great situation as a commercial fly tire for customers you know like i mean we've seen a seen a lot of pigs stuck in that in the mouth with um urban flies lately on on social media a lot of um a lot of great great fish you know but the uh the development of your flies based on your observations on the water i mean that's um that's that's the uh equation for any great fly tire really whether they're commercial or recreational um and um and it's pretty important to stay in your lane in that respect as well so it's uh, i mean there's um I know that uh, you know, like I've seen some of your flies. That uh, they're, they're, I don't really see too many that are based on Floridian flies or Floridian fly fishing. It's all sort of your local area. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a good way of saying it. And yeah. I mean, back to like you know all the people like sticking fish on. I mean, I've I've got to you know thank a lot of them. I mean, I have a great group of guys that fish my flies and they fish them really hard. I mean, these guys are out a lot. You know, whether it's all weekend trips or, you know, I have a lot of guides throughout the states that fish them hard and, you know, it's, it makes a big difference. I mean, it's, you know, you sit and spend all that time with the vice, you know how that is. To see them mm. get to work like that and fish day in and day out, it makes you feel good. And, you know, that's part of the equation. Fish them hard and they know what to do with them and they catch big fish. Mm. Is, um, is your part of the world, well, where, whereabouts in, in the United States are you? I, I am located reveal. in, it would be like the northeastern part of the United States. So I'm about five-hour drive from the ocean, mm -hmm. and I am an hour from getting into the Great Lakes. Gotcha. Right. For the, the what, Erie part of it, you know, Lake Erie. Is that, um, is that the one that Chicago sits on? No, I'm, you said Chicago time zone, you said? Uh, no, no, Chicago is located on which lake? Chicago's going to be located on Lake Michigan. Right, okay. Right here. And, and Erie's like the next one sort of northeast from there, isn't it? Correct. It's, yep, northeast. It's going to be northeast from there. Yep, gotcha. Yeah, right. And um, so with, with that in mind, like you, you draining, is, is your drainage is draining towards the Great Lakes or does it actually fall into the Mississippi sort of area? No, mine is actually going to go, I am about an hour break from where it goes from the great lakes drainage to the ohio river basin so it goes yeah. down to a big river that essentially is used for barges so a lot of our lakes are man-made we have a lot that are natural but the man-made lakes are all controlled and that water is all supposedly flood controlled but the majority of it's used and controlled to get the ohio river for barges that river goes down and meets a couple other rivers in pittsburgh and forms and gets even bigger from there mm. uh -huh. i find it um really interesting the flies that that get developed from from your area mark like it's um i mean because of the amount of water that's there and uh, the amount of catchments and and such 
you know, you guys have got a lot of water. I mean, you only need anyone listening to this who's not familiar. I mean, you only need to get on Google Google Earth and or Google Maps and have a look at how much water is around there. Um, uh, and the variety of species that you guys have, have got there too. I mean, you guys have got musky mixing with pike with with smallies and. Um, but one of the most interesting fish that I've seen that you guys have got is um, is wipers. Those are the hybrids. Yep. I mean, let's put it this way: in a in the last two weekends, I've had a client up. Guy was guiding, so four total days. We hit. We started off the first morning. We hit a lake for a few hours. We moved from that was for musky, and he was kind of open to like just going for whatever. He wanted new species. So we left there, went to a different place for bowfin. Left there, went to a medium-sized creek river, which I'd say is a few hundred feet wide. Fished that, got some pike there, no muskie. Uh, then we went to walking a creek that's about 100 foot wide for pike. Then to walk in another creek that's 50 foot wide for pike. To getting back on a boat, going to another lake, and then going to a different river first thing in the morning. So, I mean, the water here, within an hour drive... I mean, you can legitimately hit 20 different bodies of water. That's, wow. that's amazing. That it is, is absolutely amazing. It's unbelievable. Is that, a, is that a relatively unique part of the United States to be able to do that? Or is that that's, uh, pretty common in a, quite a large diameter like, from where you are? Well, I think it is kind of unique because, I mean, we have six, seven, eight natural lakes. Then you've got another six, seven, eight man-made ones. All of these have outflows, which these rivers are either fishable with a prop boat, a jet boat, or a raft. You have a lot of creeks that flow through. So I guess, I mean, we kind of have a little bit of everything, which not too, I mean, like in our state, there's nothing like it. The state beside us, there's nothing like it. You get up north, it gets a little bit different, but it's it's definitely unique, yes. Hmm. Yeah, right. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. So you're, do you, uh, so I, I'd be interested to talk about like, uh, you, that, like I mentioned earlier, the, the hybrids, we don't have anything like that in, in Australia at all. And, uh, and they've been bred for purpose, right? They're, um, they're a, they've been, they've been bred to, to, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to, uh, to Enjoy. bring down the population of a, of an introduced bait fish, right? Correct. Yep. They're there to bring down the, um, gizzard chad. Right. Okay. So what's the uh, what's the, what's the brief history of that? We were leading up to wipers. Well, I mean, years ago they stocked the original striper, or the, the, the I guess a, a, what you would see as a striper that lives in fresh and salt water. Yep. And I don't know, maybe give or take in like the ten to twelve year range, they switched over to the hybrids because the hybrids grow quicker, eat faster, and the shad population was growing out of control. So I mean, they put these fish in to maintain them, and they do a good job. They maintain them well. They eat a lot. They're voracious eaters. Are I, they sterile? What's that? Sorry, mate. Are they uh, are the wipers sterile? Like, do they die yeah. after? Yeah, they can't breed. Yeah. Yeah. Any hybrid. I mean, as far as you know, I've been told, or as far as I understand, yes. I'm sure yeah. there's people that may dispute it, but I. It's a hybrid. It's a mixed. You know, you you never really get any reproduction out of that. Uh-huh. What's the other species besides striper? Let me have pointed out. Striper and a white bass. So gotcha. a white bass is going to be the next size down, like cousin, and they pack up in schools and they feed on smaller stuff. And if you're fishing with like a five weight, six weight, oh, they're a blast. I mean, they're they're a lot of fun to fish for them too. Yeah. So wipers are pretty much the equivalent of a man bear pig, right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> Patrick Duffy as a, as a Finn. I get it, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, like those things are those things are. Um, I mean, stripers are an incredible fish. I mean, they're both they're both the same sort of family. But I mean, like, what a what a mashup! The two different species for such a successful um, program to to put them together. It's uh, to make a fantastic sports fish. I don't want to hang on them too long. I just find them pretty fascinating. That's all. They are. They're a neat fish. I I mean, I unfortunately don't fish for them all that much. I mean, the other guys in the you know SVS group they fish for them a lot, mm. and they are. I mean, they're just tanked. You hook into them, and it is just they're full of muscle. I mean, an average fish is in the five, six pound range, and you can get some good ones up into the mid-teens, and you hook one of them, you know it. He's going to have you a couple hundred yards down the stream and well into your backing. Is really? Jace, is Jace your, your co-host on uh, SVS, misleading for a guy to hold these fish up? They look pretty big when he's holding them. <laughs> well, you know what the weird part with them is? is They can be misleading, but they're, they're very high. Yeah. I mean, fish like that can be... 20 inches long and legitimately it could be 14 15 inches high so yeah. they're almost you know they're pushing three quarters as high as they are long so when they yeah. get uh, they get broadside and they pull like crazy so it's hard like in pictures when you're holding them they're deceptive because they're so doggone high it looks like you're like right up against a screen with them yeah okay yeah okay yeah it's just um yeah right so i mean it, it's pretty accurate when jay because once jay's hold they're just absolute toads you know you're looking at that thing going man that thing must yeah, like great. So Volte's got some great pull analogies, but um, but I, I can't think they come to mind right now. But they must, they must go pretty hard. I don't know how long it's been, but he's hooked a couple giants in there that were mid. They were in the teen, like fifteen pound range. Wow, that's a big wiper. I just doing yeah. my research on him now. That's a, that's a big fish. It mightn't be long, but it's very tall. In in the lake above, where like they're fishing in a river, in the lake above, there, I think was three caught this year. They were nineteen pounds. Well, oh, yeah. bigger up there, and that's just that's a massive one of them. Wow. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Do um, they jump? No, uh, no, they don't. They no. just straight pull. No, they don't jump. Yeah, right. Yeah, they just stay low. Yeah, gotcha. So, mate, we hear so much about musky over here. You know, as um as as the as the uh, jewel in the crown of um of freshwater predators in the United States. Uh, arguably, depending on which way you, way, way you look, but uh, for most most people that enjoy Australian freshwater natives like cod and barramundi and stuff like that, musky are um, are definitely uh, in focus. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. What's the what's the appeal to, with musky from a, from a point of view of someone who guides for them, fishes for them, ties flies for them? That's a good question, and I think the appeal to me lies in the fact that. They're just, they're not, a, they're not for the faint of heart fish. They take work. They take dedication. They're a fish that, you know, takes, you know, you've got to earn them. Mm. And there's a lot of reward in it. It's a fish that, you know, you don't see a lot of. You can put yourself in a perfect scenario and it's just going to tell you to go screw off. It <laughs> may come and look at you, raise up to the side of the boat and just sit there and hang. There's days where they eat, and when they eat, it's there's there's just no better feeling, and their reward and satisfaction that just kind of lingers after you. You have a good day with musky. I mean, you know, eight eight o'clock Sunday morning, I put my client on a forty-two inch fish, and I can still feel that today. Wow. I mean, that that's that's how much impact that fish has on you. And mm -hmm. once you kind of reach a point with them, you you kind of like. 
I'm trying to figure out how to explain it. You reach a point with these fish where you're like, you either got to give it your all because you want it that bad, or you kind of half-ass it or you get out of it. <laughs> and I reached it, a point with them. It's just like, I don't want nothing else. I mean, if it gets to the point where it's too hot and I can't fish for them or something like that, that's fine and I'll shut down. But other than that, I want nothing else but these fish. They have literally taken over. Muskies sound like, you know, they epitomize a lot of the values that we we love about fly fishing you know it, it's not easy you know and after a while it becomes all consuming it's you know you got to be all in if you want to do well at them you know there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels there i see just between you know how you describe musky fishing and a lot of the things we enjoy about fly fishing yeah absolutely it's 100 percent. and i mean one thing with them is it's you know you know it's not like a smallmouth bass you're not going to go out there and you know keep trying different things and they're eventually going to bite it's just not yep. going to happen, and you have to understand and take away things from days that may not seem like there was a lot there, but you have to figure out ways to learn from that, whether that's breaking down electronics and knowing where, you know, was the temperature, you know, and the wind, and was I in the right area and were the fish there, and time after time of putting that together, you get to where you can start, like, seeing these fish more and more, and what other fish is going to come track a fly down to the boat, go into a figure eight that's four foot long? I mean, it's just, it's, it's unprecedented what these fish will do, but it takes a lot of time and dedication. And once you start seeing them do that, it's just, it's, so, I, I mean, I'm sure guys that tarpon fish. Yeah. I mean, tarpon would be right up there with it, but you're hard pressed to find anything that's as, as much fun as it. Oh, oh, for sure. I think it'd be a pretty hard fish to compare. That's for sure. I mean, they sound I mean, just hearing you talk about figure eights, and I'm going to get into that because I remember when I heard that for the first time, I'm like, what the hell is a figure eight, you know? But, uh, um, and uh, since I've learned about it, I've learned that figure eights are free, but we'll get into that um, because <laughs> they they, they sound right? like um, like they sound like a fish that's that's a high-end predator, but is by no means dumb and, um, and is not an eating machine. But when it decides to eat, it's very effective, yet its interest can be piqued by uh by artificials out of just being an intelligent fish and that and that level of curiosity the fact that you can um bring it bring them up to the boat and them to look at it and eyeball the angler almost and just go yeah nah and just um and just slink back down and you never see that thing for a couple of weeks or something that 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 um that makes a fish that uh you know almost the stories of it are enough to um to to keep you interested like that seeing that fish imagine seeing like a you know a 50 inch fish up beside your boat and just ignore and almost eat and just put the fly right on the nose that story would stick you for weeks that'd, that'd keep you awake at night that that'd be that's the sort of fish that keeps you back you don't you don't have fish that keep you awake at night that that eat every time you know so that's i find that really interesting but uh um does that sound like an accurate description you know what? yeah i was just say leave that right there because you segued that perfectly because i can lead into a couple things here on that mm. And it's and that's you you hit the nail on the head with it. And the thing with a muskie is that kind of leads into the figure eight is it's the apex predator. They can go out there, they can put themselves in harm's way, and they have no disregard for it. Nothing can happen. And when you mess with like let's say like let's take a full moon. A full moon's a time where that fish is very active, but it may have ate a massive meal. There's days on full moons at the end of the day where I knew a fish ate because he was coming in after a fly. He would go around and look at it, look at it. The fins were never twitching. It was never active. It'd swim around. I had one that literally went five, six turns around in a figure eight, turned parallel to the boat, just sat there with the boat for five, ten seconds, and then, boom, dropped down in. 
And with these fish, I mean, when they <clears throat> when they start coming in, depending on how they're coming in, that's what leads to the figure eight. So one thing that I found is going into summer this year, we were getting a lot of low water and our and we were getting really clear. And as soon as that fly, let's say like I was fishing eight to ten foot deep, I was working the fly three to four foot. And if I would maintain that three to four foot right to the boat, that fish was engaged and you went into the eight down deep, that fish would eat. If that fly changed direction and it came up and that fish looked up, boom, it would turn right away and it would leave. So understanding kind of what's going on there leads to the figure eights with them fish because just because they go into the eight does not always mean them things are going to eat. That's for sure. Mm. Well, can you explain the figure eight then? The figure eight, essentially what it does is, I mean, I guess once the lure flies coming into the boat, the boat's going to give it a place of structure. That's going to give it your change of direction. So when you're going into the figure eight, I mean, it's it's important to know like kind of the depth and the clarity of the water and where everything's at. And one thing is, let's say you're coming in dead straight and there's no current, there's no nothing. Boat's facing, you know, to your right. So you're, you know, front of the boat right, you're casting, stripping left. So if you're in that way, one thing I like to do is when that fly comes in, I'm going to go straight down to the left, down deep. So I'm not pulling that fish up when it's coming in. I'm sending it down. And then there's a change of direction there. So one change of direction could change a strike. You come up around and you bring it back up high that way. So that way when you're coming up high, you're bringing that fish back up into view where you're seeing where it's at. And that way it's away from the boat. So its eyes are engaged. It's looking out. They're up at the sky. But if you did that the opposite way, its eyes come up. It sees you moving. That fish is going to break immediately right there. So you always want to work down at the boat, up and away. Then as soon as you're coming back to the right side, you're going to go back down, then come back up. And you kind of, usually it depends on the time of the year and what the temperatures are. You're going to vary in speeds. Depending on the fish and how it's acting, you can hang some pauses in there. If it goes a couple times, sometimes they'll come up and they'll nip at the tail of it, but they won't take it. Sometimes they'll come up and they'll just viciously strike at it, but you happen to, as soon as it lunged, turn it to the right and missed. And them ones, you know, if you go down deep and bring it back up and hang it on the next one, it's going to hammer it there. So it's, it really takes a lot of experience with playing with them to see, but there's, there's always things that you can change. And, you know, every fishery is different. So there's always something to be learned. And the more fish you can get into the eight, don't freeze. Work that yeah. fish. Try to do the best you can, even if it's making ovals until you learn more. If it's doing something, try to do as much as you can, because every single time you get a fish there, you're going to gain more confidence each time. And then you're going to be able to learn, based off of that fish's reaction, what it's going to do in the figure eight. Hmm. Mark, there's, do, there's do a lot of time. Oh, sorry. Go. Do, how many of the fish eat, like, during mid-retrieve, like, uh, on, a, on a typical casting retrieve? I guess it's kind of a 50-50 split, but it, there's a lot of variables that go into that, though, to be honest. Yep. It depends on, you know, if you're fishing a river with certain banks and then fish are sitting along the banks, a lot of times the strikes are within the first couple strips of the bank. Yep. If you're fishing open water and it's dirty, you're going to yep. tend to get a lot of your strikes out in open water. If you're fishing water, open water and it's clear, you're going to tend to get a lot of them fish into the boat because they have more time to see it. Sure. So there's a lot of scenarios that go into it, kind of depending on where you're at. But it's kind of a 50-50 split. And, and in the winter, they tend to they tend to follow a lot more when it's cold in the winter. 
they'll yeah. go right up and you got to play with them and they need some toy and to entice them when they get lethargic wow wow and do you have um as a figure eighting does it it requires a larger butt on the rod right it does. I mean, if you kind of get used to learning how to do it, I mean, I've done it for, you know, a couple of years with just a standard fighting butt. I never used a longer butt. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely, definitely is an advantage. You know, having that longer fighting butt helps. Mm. Yeah, sure. I guess, look, I'm, I'm going to dumb this right down because I know that I listened to you guys talk about figure eights for a long time, Mark, on SVS. And, and I still wasn't like, I mean, I took took guesses. But I still didn't know, and this will this will be like a really dumb explanation. It might be really obvious, but for those who are sort of still like you know, like me that like dealt with you know concrete for most of their career, um, um, a figure eight is essentially you're you're moving the rod tip with the fly, not more than the leader out of the rod tip or even less, and moving it around at the boat when at the end of your retrieve in a figure eight motion. Like that's the it okay, may so not let's, be let's this way. I yeah. run a three foot leader. Yep. roughly and i run one foot of wire you're going to strip it in until you feel the tick in the wire and then you're going to do one full pull which is going to leave you about two foot so when you're stripping that fly in and you see that fly and it's two foot in front of you all in one motion while it's still moving you're going to take that take that rod with your right hand you're going to sweep it straight down into the water and you're going to make a big oval out to the right kind of like a big wing and then once you get to the top and your arms extended completely out straight in front of you you're going to take it and you're going to go straight back down and you're going to bring it to to your left side and just like a number eight just keep making it around like that and um, you'll do that like uh i mean to a certain degree a lot of this is um is is uh, educated blind casting. Let's put it that way. I mean, you don't see the fish; they live they live a bit deeper. But you'll do this with every retrieve, yeah. Like, I mean, that's it's it's worth it enough to not not only do it like if you see a fish falling, but you might not see the fish falling, right? And and then they'll eat on the figure eight. Correct. Yeah, because a lot of times you have one of two things. One, that fish is going to hang four feet, three feet, six feet behind the fly, and you're not going to see him. And when you start into the eight, that's when he's going to come and pick up that time because he's thinking that fly is getting away because it's starting to change direction. So mm-hmm. it makes an aggressive action up behind it. And then that eight triggers him. Second, though, is a lot of times that fish is going to use your boat as structure and it's going to sit underneath it. And there's a lot of times that that fish will come right out just in the blind and just straight smash it right out from under the boat. You don't see it. You don't nothing. All you see is mouth, boom, fish, hook on, go. What a what a boss of an animal! Just like you know what I can I know those people in that on that log under above me are danger, but I'm just going to hang here because it suits me. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, if, like if you have a blind figure eight that comes out from under the boat and it's a good sized fish, and you haven't happened happy before, you're probably going to shit your pants. Yes, <laughs> it's just, there's nothing like it. All you see yeah. is just mouth. That's is it. Your flies there, and then just. Huge mouth opens up, and then boom, your fly is going out of nowhere. That's all you see. Wow. <laughs> Man, are, um, are, are muskie, like, um, somewhat pelagic? I know pelagic's not the right term for them, but will they they just hunt and hang in, in midwater? Like, uh, I mean, more deeper than what you can see, depending on the clarity of the water, of course. But, I mean, do they need, like, a, a big rock to hang on? I mean, obviously, they're going to – I know I'm answering questions as I'm going, as I'm asking questions, but – just sort of figuring out, like, I mean, if you if you drift over an area, could there be a muskie already in that that waterhole that's um, already up high and just and just uses that boat as an advantage as it arrives? 
I mean, the answer to that question, yes to all of it. And that, that also varies, too, because the answer to the first part of your question about that fish just kind of drifting around out there in open water, you know, around where I do, do they do that? Not as much, but let's say you take a shield lake like up in Canada and you get into some of them big deep water and they're falling around big things of bait and ciscos and what have you. Yeah, that fish can suspend up in 15, 10 to 15 foot deep in 150 foot of water. Mm. So that kind of varies on the waterway. And them fish that do that, quite frankly, them are the biggest ones you see. Them are the ones that push 60 pounds. Wow. They just live out in open water. They do nothing but travel around and fall around bait fish. And they just, when they're ready, they go up and they pluck one. When they're not, they drop down. There's no current. There's no nothing. They have nothing. It's just, it's full relaxation. And when they need food, they reach up and get it. That's but in like rivers and stuff like that, I mean, it's going to vary. It's they're they're always going to move around in rivers, lakes. They're going to tend to hold a structure, and like where I fish at, a lot of it they're either going to hold a structure or they're going to hold a bait. Um, mm -hmm. But a majority of it is tending to be holding the you know structure until it's you know hot. Once it gets hot and then fish drop deep into you know deep water, then they'll hold the bait from there. Okay. Sounds pretty similar to some of the species we've got over here. Definitely. That's for sure. Oh, um, yeah. I'm sure they yeah. operate. You know, if you take a Murray cod and put teeth on it and make it slender, they would operate the same. Yeah, I'll tell you, musky remind me of like a, a freshwater, what we call Spanish mackerel over here. You know, it's uh, what you call, call them king mackerel, I believe, over there. Um, the saltwater fish. You know the ones I mean, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. But um, that's an interesting thing to bring up the Murray cod. Like you sell, you know, you sell some flies over here to to Murray cod fishermen as well, right? I've sold a couple sets. Yeah, not a ton, but yeah. a few. Yep. Because I mean, the the popularity of um of Bufords, uh, you know, has come from musky fishing, and it's definitely on the radar for uh, Australian fly fishermen in regards to um in regards to that fly as well. That's um that's a pretty popular platform for you guys, right? It is. Yeah. I mean, that's. Kind of my bread and butter. A lot of my fishing revolves around that that pattern itself. Can you tell us about how, like, as much as you know about how um, that pattern came about and where where it came from? Well, that was derived from Brad Bowen. Brad yep. Bowen, you know, made it for you know musky fishing. Mm -hmm. And as far as kind of like I understand, that fly was tied essentially a reverse wound style by building a thread dam in the front. And once you get to the head, a lot of the heads are tied with the backs of, you know, deer hair. And everybody kind of has their own way of doing it. I have my way of doing it. I like to reverse tie them. Um, but I don't do the, um, you know, the thread dam in the front. I just stand a reverse tie right over top of it. Mm -hmm. It kind of builds the body. I can go a little bit thinner with them. And essentially what it does is it structures a fly to be a little more narrow, straight up and down, rather than it does being rounded. Yep. And then the heads on mine, I, I do use some of them that are the back of the bucktail, but I do use a lot of body hair. So what I get with that is consistency. So I get yep. a fly that um, it's either, you know, depending on singles, there's doubles. But the Buford head itself essentially distributes water around it. It's buoyant. It causes the back of the fly to kick, and it causes the fly to turn side to side like a glide bait would or some, you know, style bait to kick side to side. And mm. they hover and they pause, and they just hang there. Mm. And they hang there for seconds right in the strike zone. 
Mm. Um, but so essentially, like the style I do with them, it gives that ability to do kind of quick, narrow turns with them, and they're not wide. So they operate kind of quicker and they're more snappy type turns that, you know, with it, I guess that's the best way to put them. So, so what you're describing there is, uh, you know, is a, is a fly that you're tying I- I intended for purpose. And the purpose is for something to be able to, to push water or create bulk, but also have an action where it can, uh, where it can pause and turn on its side. Yeah. It is. Yep. Yep. And the number yep. one thing, I mean, more than pushing the water is to get that fly to turn broadside. So with muskie, they like to T-bone. One thing that they're going to want is that fly broadside. And the more times that thing turns broadside and shows its profile, the better chances you have of getting a strike. Wow. Well, it's interesting you say that because, I mean, right off the back of describing figure eights and the and the figure eight is not, I mean, in, probably in part it is, but it's not primarily the ability to keep the fly moving it's changing the fly's direction, which entices the strike, right? Correct, yeah. So it's a little bit different than what that, you know, the fly would be doing by turning side to side. With that doing there is you're essentially trying to, once you start that figure eight, entice the fish that, like, this bait's getting away, and you're trying to play cat and mouse with it to get it to eat. Mm. Where you're, you're working a Buford back or a fly like that, that's where you're trying to entice that strike out from the boat or get its intention, uh, attention to get it into the figure eight. Mm. I guess what I'm trying to do is, is ascertain the, the purpose of the fly because, I mean, the majority of our listeners are in Australia and, and their interest in the Buford is, is going to be primarily for Murray Cod. And, you know, I think um, I think a lot of people would, would, would see the similarities okay. so, of that. Yeah, no, I, I get where you're going. Let me answer it this way for you then before yeah. we go too far off. Sure. The purpose of the fly is what it does is you take deer hair, which builds a buoyant head to it. Mm-hmm. With the buoyant head, Depending on, and I guess it depends on a couple of things. But the one thing is, is like how I fish a fly is I use a fast hatch snap that's light. I use a number three. And depending on with most Bufords, I'm using a sinking line. Sinking lines are going to range from sink four up to sink seven. Yeah, so with that's that just, point, sorry, Mark, just on that point. That's a very important point. Like, and I don't mean to re- do, I just want people to take notice. These flies are designed to fish on a fast sink line. Right? Yes. Okay. So that's perfect. Yeah. So with this, and I'm going to, I'm trying to lay it out so that I can cover everything without going way off of topic. Sure. You can fish Bufords on an intermediate line. The flies I sell are called a river. They're less dense in the head. Once it hits, you give it a second or two, they sink. You can start working it with an intermediate line, quick little pops. It works like a glide bait back and forth. It rides a couple inches underneath the water. Depending on how much you let an intermediate line sink, at most it's going to ride six inches under the water. Mm-hmm. But for a standard Buford, let's get back to them, like a standard Buford or like a double Buford. I'm going to run it on an S6 or S3 to an S7. Myself, I like a sink 5 to a sink 7. Mm-hmm. Right. With that deer hair head, and it builds that buoyancy there, it's doing, yes, it's pushing water, which creates a disturbancy, which makes the fish feel it. Yes, that is there. That's one thing with it. A lot of people talk about that. Not my 100% focus. Mm. My 100% focus is what it does is it pushes water around that fly, which causes it to kick quick from the left to the right. And when you make a strip, whether it be 6 inches, 8 inches, 10 inches, you strip and you let off it for a second – you make a wee little pot, like a wee little strip of three inches just to pick up your slack line. 
because at that point that flies gliding that gives that line time to ride just below the eye of the hook so if you're doing that properly each strip then you give it just a second you pick up your little slack line you make the next strip that sinking line rides down below that fly is always going to ride at that same depth it's never going to head bob it's never going to do anything if you take that fly line and you count it down to that depth that you want and you do that with the strips and you don't let that fly line pull back up above it i don't care if you got to take that rod and you got to jam it down to the cork mm. as long as that fly line maintains below the eye of that hook that fly will ride at that depth the whole way from coming back on that strip and that is the one thing with a buford that is awesome so for people listening that you can take that fly and you can fish a glide bait style fly in any any depth you can tie these things from three, four inches the whole way up to 12, 15 inches. Fish them for a variety of species. And once you fish them and you learn what they do on each line, you can work them at that depth and hold them there. They're not just for top water. They're not just for surface. I fish them in eight, ten foot of water now. Could you mm. fish them, say, in – say you've got a situation in a, in a lake where you've got, um, you've got you know, some, uh, some, some weed um, – you know, and you've got maybe maybe 12 inches of water over the top of it. And are you familiar with the fish we call barramundi? Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm familiar with just what you know what they are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's an open question to Chris too. But you know, is is that style of fishing you to fish over the top of the over the top of the weed without occasionally picking up the weed um, and barramundi coming out of the, the gaps and um, you know obviously sitting on top or, or amongst the weed come up to the fly. The situation that would suit the, the Buford platform well? Yeah, absolutely. So what you do there is you would do one of two things. And I'm using this as reference to the flies that I tie in. So yep. depending on what you do yourself and how you make them, it vary. But you yep. can do that with two things. One, you could take an intermediate line in a river. The river head is a little less dense. It's got a heavier gauge hook, and there's a little bit less bucktail with thinner feathers in it. Mm-hmm. As soon as that hits, give it a second or two. You just put that rod tip just under the water, and you strip it. Because it's a little less dense, that head won't ride up out of the water. It'll stay down and ride a few inches under, and it'll stay in that 12 inches for you. The other option is is you take a fast sink with a heavier head, like a bigger head, and you just go quick with it. You count it down. You make sure that that line's line's level right there with where the top of the weeds are, and then Uh you just rip it back over it real quick, and just it'll it'll stay and probably it may ride the first one down right to that 12-inch, but then after mm-hmm. that, probably hold five inches after that. I, I see what you're saying there, mate. If I could probably be the conduit between the uh, the decision-making here with this, what you just said there a couple of times, Mark, is like, you know, it, it would, it would you know, that we come down to the top of the weed. Volsi, like in your situation, I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. The top of the weed is on the surface, but you're fishing pockets, right? Is that right? Yeah, I was, depending on the water level, what it's done recently, quite often the, the – um, there will be pockets, yep. but there will be. Yeah, if the be... water level rises before the weed grows, you'll have a oh, section no, yeah. above the yeah, if, yeah. above Try the weed. I wouldn't be pocket fishing them, no. But if you had twelve inches of clearance, you can make it work in that. But yeah, I would well, yeah. pocket fishing them now. That's that's yeah, that's right. that's the bit. That, I guess that's the big point of the explanation because um, you know, when you just describe you know a sinking line and keeping the line lower than the eye of the hook, you know, you would need a certain amount of room above the um the the weed. Uh, or uh, a very weedless uh, fly, and uh, and I guess unfortunately, weed guards are the second most useless thing around weed going. You know, and uh, 
ironically named. <laughs> but yeah. um, it, yeah, it's uh, but you know, I mean, like it's. I hear what you're saying, but I don't know if if, that, if that's putting pieces of the puzzle together for you to be able to make a decision or not. But um, yeah, yeah it, I mean, it, only, it does only a little you know. bit. Yeah, 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 because yeah, it it depends literally on on where the weed is relative to the water surface. It'll yeah. determine your tactics, doesn't it? So I mean, I'm gonna nice. with you on my end. I hate fishing through weeds. I don't yeah. do it. I move to the edge of the break or I find where I have enough clearance. If I can get eight foot of water with weeds up to five, I'll fish it. If I can get 10 foot of water with weeds up to seven, I'll fish it. If not, I'm going to the edge of that weed break and I'm fishing on the edge of it because I am not dragging my fly through the dang weeds all day. Yeah. That sucks. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, yeah, if you if you can avoid it, obviously it's uh, you know, it's yeah, it's no fish is gonna eat with a with a ton of ton of salad stuck to the hook. That's for sure. No, it's tough. That's uh, that's tough to it that way. But I see what you're saying, Volts, because I mean, like, I don't know if you remember, Mark. I mean, we've known each other for a while now, but I remember when when we I first started looking at Buford's uh, under your guidance, like I don't know, I don't know, five years ago or something like that or whatever. Um, it's been a while. Um, now. It's been a while, yeah. And um. So, uh, I mean, I, you may not remember, I was like, oh, man, these things look incredible. These things are going to kill it on Barramundi and, and, and even things like like other species we've got over here, Mangrove Jack. And, like, they just um, they just got so much movement in a short distance that, that it, um, it really appealed to me. And, and I'm, I, I, um, I also see it the same way as, um, I mean, water pushing, obviously, I mean, we want that with every fly, but the, the functionality of that head shape is, is not is not about it's it's about that um the action the buoyancy and the correct use of materials or material selection for that as well right yeah whatever yeah. happened with that did you ever use all the ones you made uh, uh no well when i was um because i've only i've only i've only stopped commercial tying about i don't know 16 18 months ago but i only finished tying those flies like um as you know it took me about two years to get your fly over there for you you know <laughs> it's um or probably longer but um so I only just finished tying it, so I've only um, I haven't had a chance to uh, to to fish an area where that would that would work. The ones that I tied commercially for other people, um, I believe one of my customers got the first Murray cod on a Buford, uh, which was Dan Dingle in Lake in a lake called Lake Mawala. Um and he went on to say that you know that the Murray cod loved him. But I was tying um, a seven four seven, I believe, which is a variation I wanted to talk about as well. You know, um, because there are like you tie a lot of single Bufords. Um, and uh, uh, I don't, I can't remember who came up with the seven four seven. Is it is it oh. cool to talk talk about Sully in that respect, or you reckon, or not? No, that was a Bowen fly. Yeah. Oh, that was a Bowen fly. Yeah, the seven four seven, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yep. a seven four seven is going to be a hook in the back with a shank in the front. Yeah. And by Bowen's way of doing it, he rounds the head on it. Hmm. So. Like myself, what I do is I do a dual hook platform. I use a I use two six aughts. I connect yeah. them with double sixty five pound uh, wire mm -hmm. with uh -huh. uh, eight millimeter bead in between. I prefer yeah. the two hook platform. Just that's myself. That's what I prefer. So yep, I mean, there's yeah. a few variations of it, but I mean, base you know the actual you know seven four seven itself that Bowen did would be a hook in the back with a shank in the front and yeah. a little more rounded deer hair head trimmed head. yeah which i like that principle i mean it's like um you know it, it it's got a nice action uh and, and i guess the principle is there there's a lot more weight in the um in the in the trunk than there is in the front like a um 
you know, like like as if you try to spin a dart around and throw it backwards, it would it would um it would go all over the place. It'd probably want to spin around so that it gets that real T bone effect sort of thing. I like that, but um, you know, like the thing with Murray Cod, which the reason these Bufords and, and articulated Bufords as well, like really make an appeal, like is those fish will also eat based on a reaction uh, out of aggression, uh, in addition to eating because they're hungry, you know. So it's um it's that it's that appeal of aggression that um that that action creates. I think that that makes them suitable, a suitable flyer, a, a desirable flyer for, for Murray Cod. We had a we had a guest on here, and you'll probably be able to associate this. Um, Adam is it Adam Kearns? I can't remember his last name. Adam, you remember Volte? Adam Kearns works. No, not Adam Kearns. Um, no, no, no. Um, God, I've drawn a blank on his name. I, God damn it. We had one talking about Copeton. Oh, Adam Altman. Yeah. God damn it. Yes, Adam Altman. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so Adam. <laughs> um, Adam. Though. Yeah. Yeah, Adam is um has yes is using the Bufords or seven four sevens for a, a lake here called Copeton, and you know he'll fish all night for just that that one fish, you know. But um, yeah. But he'll he'll do like in in some circumstances he'll do better than the lure guys just based on that the, the presence and the size that you can achieve with a castable fly, you know, with that uh, silhouette. That too. Big thing. You have you have such a silhouette for that fish looking up, with a that fly is always breathing. Mm. So when it's looking up, I mean that thing's that's got a good profile to it, and it's always moving too. Mm. You look off them strips, them bucktails just breathes in there, and that fly's always got movement. Breathing's a good way of putting that. You know, it's um when when people talk about tying bucktail sparser, you know that that's what you want from it. You know, like bucktail can choke so easily. You know, it's uh for I mean you, even in the Buford, you're using bucktail in probably three ways that I can think of off the top of my head, you know, with, um, uh, well, I know you talk about, um, using body hair for the, for the head on them. And that's an interesting point in itself as well, between, um, different parts of the deer to, to, to be able, excuse me, to be able to use. But if you're going to be using, um, I'm just realizing now that if you, you could potentially talk about using bucktail, like in three different techniques on, on a Buford, like you could be tying it in straight reverse tying and then spinning the deer hair as well, the bucktail. And it will all come off three different parts of a tail as well. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, depends on. There. Depends on the tail. Are you there? Are you falling over? Do you need some? Do you need me to call nine one one? Or no, you're good, Chip. I'm here. Okay. Cool. Is that Valti? Did you cool. fall over? You mean you need me no, to call Chip? No. 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 I got it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So we're all yeah we're all in check. Just just have to just do a roll call there for a second. We're midway through the show and um. <clears throat> This is when we normally lose people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was getting pretty technical. I'm on the edge of my seat listening to this because I'm learning a lot about about the construction of the Buford. You know, the intention of of how to, um, you know, how it's designed to be fished, and uh, and now obviously the nitty gritty of, of correct selection of bucktail. Well, it's um, it, this is one of the reasons. Um, yeah, me and Mark spoke about this, this show, and um, and one of the things we want, like, I want to talk about was that. But I really like this with any with any analysis on any fly, like why you would fish it, what the reason is, how you're expecting it to, re- your your prey to react to it, uh, as opposed to just using something because someone else uses it. You need to be able to make your own informed decisions, and well, and hopefully without without a platform like this, I mean, a platform like this makes it very easy to be able to make that decision before you get too far off check let's put it this way to roll back on it mm. 
So if you take a Buford and you reverse tie it and you have a nice fiber, then you know what? And myself, I'm not, I'm not looking for five, six, seven inch fibers. Hmm. I want a three and three quarter to a four inch. Uh-huh. I want it like three inch at the top, taper and down to four. I want mm-hmm. it a little light and fluffy, a little crankly. And if you take that and you use that and you reverse tie it over, that fly there is going to breathe well. And you do it sparse but enough to build a bulk to it. And you go up a little bit and you taper that from the back to the front as you go. Mm-hmm. That fly is going to breathe well as it turns. It's going to go. Now, if you take a straight fiber bucktail that's real hollow mm-hmm. and you do that, First thing you're going to have to do is when you tie over itself, it's going to flare and it's going to shoot right up. Mm. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to hold it down and you're going to have to tie soft and loose. and You're going to have to build a big dam up over top of that. Then you're going to have to start controlling how them fibers are in order to build at the height you want to build the bulk as you go up. Mm. Because now the fiber itself isn't building the bulk. Now you have shitty bucktail and you have to build the bulk. Yeah. And, and, and it's over it's time, right, yeah. as you keep fishing that. That starts to lay down. That fly will not have the same action as that other bucktail does and will not maintain that same action for a long period of time. Sure, yeah. you may be able to fake it and may look at, may make it look nice in a picture. Uh, but at the end of the day, say. after four or five, six times of fishing that fly, that fibers are going to lay completely flat down to it, and it's not going to fish the greatest. It's going to be That's- sleek, it's going to shoot through, and it's not going to want to turn and kick as much. That's exactly what I was saying there. I mean, in regards to photos, but even in regards to to fishability, like I mean, take take photos and all that sort of stuff out of it. It's a it's a false it's a false taper, you know. Like it's um if you've got a if you've got a, a quality of bucktail that's uh, or you know if you're randomly selecting bucktail or have it randomly selected for yourself, that's not intended for purpose. I mean, you know yourself. I mean, I know I know for a fact that you're like me, Mark. And you know, like I've I've said on the show before, I've got about twenty different white tails that I have in rotation for my fly tying, you know, and it's, um, and each one of those tails, you know, like, oh, well, you're tying more specifically, like, you know, you probably got, I don't know, you might have less, but I mean, I've got a lot of variety that I, well, I used to tie, I guess, commercially, I guess. So for that purpose, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have just in a white tail, like I said, easy, like, you know, we'll say 15 to 20 to be fair, you know, of different tails, different lengths, different quality, different types. Uh, and they all do different stuff for that reason. Like you said, you know, like those, um, those 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 hairs, those stiff hairs with like the uh, the the you know like uh, you know like you say more hollow or I, I would consider to have more of a, a thicker, coarser casing around a, around a cellular structure. I guess to to get into what my perception of it is, I suppose without understanding the biology of deer hair, um, um, you know, like those 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 they got their they definitely got their purpose too. Same with the same with the back of the tail with the uh, with the with the brown color as well as in addition to the white, but. Um, you know, like the the variety available in 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 bucktails as a, as a as a fly tying medium is is incredible and infinite, really. You know, and it's um just like just like fishing. You know, like it takes time to learn like bucktails if it's learning your species to be able to tie a fly to hunt your species to get mm-hmm. really deep about it. But it it really is. There's no two ways about. It. You can't just pick up a bucktail, tie flies it, consume it in two weeks' time, and go back to the shop and get the exact same tail. It's impossible. Can, can, can I wade in here with a question for you guys? Like, you know, obviously you two are uh, aficionados on deer bums. Um, but <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> we, we, 
so say you're you're Joe Public and and you want to you know want to get into tying a Buford, what what sort of bucktails are you going to need? And you know how do I tell a, a suitable one from an an unsuitable one? Well, Mark Mark kind of hit the nail on the head there with what you know like he I mean he's definitely the authority on 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 this style of hair that you want. But what did you say, Mark? It's 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 three to four inches. Yeah. If you have yeah. no knowledge of whatsoever going into it, the first thing that I would look for is fluffy. Uh-huh. If it's fluffy, that's a good start. That's going to at least get you something to work with. Yep. If it is sleek and straight and the fibers seem like they want to break real easy and they're not malleable, that's not going to be a really good tail you know, to tie with. Yep. Sure, yep. Um, another thing, too, is if you want to try to use the back of the tail, Try to look for one that's also a little bit fluffy back there. It's maybe like an inch and three quarter to two inches long. That kind of gives you like a nice length on the backside. Uh-huh. You can Some of that hair is really nice. That. What's that? Some of that hair is really nice. Some like of it really is. Nice. Some yeah. of it is. Now, if it's been cooked way too long in the dye process, then no. But yeah. if it hasn't been... You can get some really nice stuff back there that's really good consistency, very nice texture, fluffy, spans out real nice on the heads and makes a real nice head for them. That's, you know what, you, you sort of touched on something there that um, is really interesting in regards to bucktail, is that you know it might be one thing to be able to get a, a nice natural tail, but um, I tell you, one thing, the one thing that can ruin um, deer hair is is dyeing it, that's for sure. You know, it's, uh, you know, um, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like, oh, I don't even know how to start then, so I didn't know we were going this way, but it, it really is like it's, um, like I, I dye all my tails here. Um, uh, I got a couple of, um, a couple of supplies that you, you might know there, Mark, that I get tails off occasionally, but, um, I'll even buy commercial tails and dye them myself because of how, how brutalized that commercial dyeing process is, you know, to be able to maintain that fluffiness, uh, you know, is, is often changed if, um, with a couple of degrees of a dye bath i've noticed as well like if we uh, i don't know how we're going to do this in fahrenheit to centigrade but um for those who are listening for in centigrade you know yeah. if, if you've got a if you've got a dye bath that sort of sits around 95 degrees that's ideal for that for that dye it won't take dye at 90 degrees but you get to a, a hundred a hundred or 102 and you start cooking that tail and they um and i would imagine the proteins that are involved in that in the building blocks of that of that material get very changed and uh, in in that process and i think that's what ruins a lot of uh, commercial tales and uh, and and why wouldn't it because i mean the guys that are cooking those things in massive batches for like high-end commercial things what 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 care do they have whether it's used for a buford or a clouser or, or or whatever you know it's um it's just it's just a matter of changing the colors of them so i i think it's um i think that's really important as well like we you know for people that are sourcing hair for a certain purpose mm-hmm. Is um is is learning that as well. Um, yeah. So similar similar to um to maybe like you know some of the finer spirits for you know alcoholic spirits, you know the small batch control processes give you the you know the smoother results. Is that sort yeah, of um like, sim- similar to that? Yeah. I would I would imagine so. Like I mean, that it's a, before you get to that point, also comes down to the process of getting the tail to that point too. Yeah. Oh yeah. When you're working with like bigger distributions, they're going to go with the denatured alcohol bass, and they're just going to dump a whole bunch of tails in there. When you're talking like smaller batches to be done, they're going to be done with borax, and they're going to be laid out, and they're cleaner, and they're a nicer overall tail, Mm -hmm. and the fibers are splayed easier to work with, and they're not, you know, sometimes 
yeah, denatured ones, you're going to get some that are perfect and they're nice and they're good, but you're going to get some that are curled on themselves or they're turned this way or they're turned that way and they're hard to use or they're folded in. Uh-huh. And that's the nice with the borax process is it leaves it nice and open. The fibers are very, you know, usable and easy to get to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah th- those guys I mentioned, which I, I won't mention their names on, on air, that um, – uh, because of uh, I don't know they come from your around your area, but I don't want them getting inundated. Get um, um, yeah, they I, I believe that's how they do it as well. But it's pretty common for for you guys over there to uh, you know cut a tail off roadkill and, and just keep it for yourself, right? I mean the, the abundance of of whitetail deer over there is probably similar to as we've discussed before in in the past, similar to what we have in kangaroos over here. They're just everywhere. Yeah, and with that much abundance, I really don't need to cut them off if we wanted to. I hit on the road, though. <laughs> <laughs> I just go pick them up, and they're already ready for me or <laughs> someone. Yeah, right. There's a, there's a lot of people that are process small batch processing tails where around your area. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like whoever you're getting them from got to quit jacking around and get get on the ball for you. Yeah, well, you know they're busy. I understand that. That um, it is what it is, mate. It's also seasonal as well. Like, I mean, that's a that's a very interesting. I mean, we, we've talked about the. Next. There's no two ta- no two tails the same. We've talked about um, you know the ver- like the variety of the the same tail that might get dyed in, or prepared in a different way, but there's also the variety of of where they come from. I mean, the the range of white tail is. Correct me if I'm wrong. We'll, we'll go. You know, I don't know. Are they up to Alaska? Or well, they're at least in Canada, and they they'll go all the way to Mexico, won't they? Like the massive range. Yeah. That, um. No, they're not in Alaska. They have blacktail there, but Canada down to Mexico. Yep. Yeah. What do they taste like? So, they they tasty. Oh, they're phenomenal. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Right. So just just to get back on that, you know, like the the okay. performance of like a um. I mean, if you if you were if you if you were looking to become a bucktail aficionado yourself, um, you know, you would um you you would find a lot of um a lot of interest in discovering where your tails come from. Because the quality between something, say, you know, near where you are there, Mark, to say somewhere like, you know, a lot warmer, like Tennessee or something like that, you know, like is um is staggering, right? It is. And you know what? We see a dramatic change in our own tails based off of time of the year. Yeah. As right. that, you know, if we get a really cold start to the year, it helps them tails bulk up a little bit. They get nice and fluffy. If it's really hot, they're short, they're stringy, they're nasty, they're short, they're you know, you know a couple inches, and they're just junk. Yeah, they're usually they're start straight and coarse. Cool. Yep, you start getting that cool, and they start fattening them up, and them tails get nice and wide, and they get some bulk to them, and you notice mm. a big difference in time of the year and the temperature. By the time you get the late season, and you get into like January, yeah, them tails are prime, but at that point, most of the people have killed out, and they're not hunting that time of the year. Yeah, well, that, I guess that's the thing with um, with small batch. I suppose is um, it's not it's not a, a slaughter fest all year round on deer. There's there's season seasonal harvesting, right? Correct. Yep, it is uh, starts up here next week, and it'll run until into January. Oh, that's I appreciate that insight. I'm going to hit those dudes up and say, hey, it's uh, it's killing time. Get onto those tails, hey. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's killing time. <laughs> Let's get those rifles. New season out. tail, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. Come what's um, what's the first? It's, it's bow season first, right? For those things. Bow season starts, yeah. Then we'll have an early season doe only muzzle loader coming too. Oh yeah, right. Okay. What's very what's, well maybe when I go out. 
Oh right. Okay. Like, are you, like are you a muzzle, muzzle loader? You a muzzle loader, are you? No, I just now I'm full time with doing this, and I can have time to go hunt again. And I miss eating them, and I want to go shoot one. Yeah, I don't have a bow anymore. I sold mine, so I do have a muzzle loader. Yeah, Volts, that's Volts' nickname in Australia, the muzzle loader. The muzzle loader. I'm, I'm famous for uh, spitting muskets out the out the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's not what it's for, but we won't go into it on the show. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it, it's pretty. It's <laughs> muzzle it's pretty, loader. Doesn't sound like you should be proud of that one. <laughs> oh no! But, but like, to understand the humor that is Valti, like you know that it's 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 a it's a badge that you wear proud, you know that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> just, just googling that, yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. Go. No, that's yeah. muzzle loader so that's, video. <laughs> so that's pretty interesting with Bucktail. Like, I'll, I'll tell you something that's um really interesting, and I, I guess it's an interesting story for the listeners to sort of understand, you know, the the variety and where where these things come from um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna like uh pretty much quote and i'll tell you where it came from as well like um i was buying i don't buy them from him anymore but um i was buying tales from nature spirit and the 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 old owner julie weimer i spoke to her on the phone and she told me that um that uh you know like when when those guys have got to harvest tails they've got to harvest them from a because they're a, a national wildlife a native wildlife um product they can't just go shoot animals in the wild They've got to, to commercially to sell these things and, and harvest them. They've got to get them from a um, from a facility, if you like. Um, so she tells me that once you know once a year they, they go and grab they grab grab their tails or twice a year and um, and she watched um, you know like watches the other brands. They all sort of sort through it and look for the best tails they can and um, and and one of the one of the proprietors just just basically sat there and, and watched. And um, when she questioned him um she said said um you know those um we don't really care about the the quality of the tails that we'll just get where you guys leave because they'll all sell and um yeah i guess it's an interesting point um look i mean i, I don't want to mention that i'd love to mention the brand of the name but just let let me put it this way that it's the it's the most popular brand that we've had in australia for a long time and for a long time previous to sort of modern importers to put it that way this brand has been has been synonymous with australians saying we only get the scraps here in Australia, and and why why wouldn't you? I mean, like that can be a business model for some people that they would look at volume rather than quality, and that's not a, that's that's not something to frown on. That's that's their decision to make that. But when when we've only had it's like only having one channel of TV, you know, like you don't you don't know, and, and then you finally get Netflix, you know, the variety that you've got. If you don't if you don't know and understand, and you think that's that's the best it can get. You know, hopefully a show like this will uh, will point out that there's there's worth there's a fair bit of worth. Uh, there's a fair bit to look into that's worth looking into, is, if you know what I'm saying. Because, yeah, um, yeah because it's um, well, some of the yeah. some of the processes are criminal. That's for sure with what they do with the dying and yeah, like a lot of those got sorry, marketing me over, but just on the back of that, I suppose, because that same that same wholesaler, if you want me to put it that way, has also I've seen a documentary of them about how they die and process their tails, and I watched them put them in commercial washing machines for 24 hours to get all the oils and fats out of them and stuff, and just what? strip them strip them clean of of everything these these tails are dry like there's no lanolin in them at all then they dye them and then and the ones that miss tint they go back in and they get turned black so then those ones get cooked twice you know and it's um that's when you get those tails that feel like they're um no good for anything else but paintbrush bristles and um twisted oh, up like yeah. a gumboot you know and it's um and it's it does make me it, i get pretty charged about that because 
for years. I used to watch guys like Bob Popovic's Thai hollow flies and stuff like that and go get and have his book and go, I couldn't, I'd love to be able to tie that, but only have access to that one brand. And that's all I could get in Australia. And it was, uh, it pissed me off because like of all the years that I wasted tying those flies <laughs> and, and, and not being able to achieve the results that I had. And then when I finally um, made connections to be able to get some great bucktail or saw about great bucktail through um, various sources or whatever, you look at it, you're going, oh, this is how it's achieved. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's funny, eh? I, I'm the same thing. I'd I'd seen uh, step by steps in in um, books and magazines and the odd the odd video back pre you know pre YouTube sort of days, and I just thought I was shit. <laughs> but now I realise that it was a you know material wasn't handling like it should or wasn't responding to thread pressures and stuff like that like I thought it should. You know, it wasn't spinning. It was just fucked. Yeah. Start. Yeah. You could you could say like a tradesman doesn't blame his tools, but no tradesman yeah. can walk. Work, work with warped timber, mate. You know, like you can't build a frame <laughs> with, with a twisted gumbo, if you know what I'm saying, you know. So, you know, I, I stand behind that, that like, you know, oils ain't oils when it comes to, to bucktail. There's a there's a lot of variety and 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 informed consumers should make them, oh, people, uh, you know, interested consumers should make themselves informed is what I'm saying. And if, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, if you can't, if you can't determine the source and, and see where geographically where it comes from to be a big poor for making a decision to buy it, you know, like, you know, you should be able to ask that question freely and the supplier should know. Should know the difference of where, you know, the difference between a tail for a, a hollow to a buck to a, a Buford to a, a bulkhead to a clouser, all that sort of stuff. There's so much variety in bucktail. It's such an amazing material that gets um, glanced over. Sorry, I've hijacked this with my own passion. but uh, With a fucking <laughs> rant, man. Listen yeah. to you. Oh, it, it pisses me off, eh? That, like, um, that, uh, that, You're that, still, that, I'm just sitting in on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I hope you're enjoying your interview. It's great. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're enjoying listening to Chris. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking. Uh, yeah, you know I can what tell. I guess, You know, one thing I do got to say on that, and the tough part, like on my end, is is I can't speak for like kind of the troubles you have for down there. And I mean, it's just, I, you know, and I've I've known you for a while, and I've talked to you about this for years, and it does. That's tough. Yeah, and, you know, and and I can't speak on that because I don't. It, they're readily available here, so for me to kind of, you know, express what you are, I'd be lying because I don't know. Yeah. But with that being said, that's where you run into one thing. With them being readily available, they're typically done in the processes you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And once they're done in the processes you're talking about, most of them are gonna be scraps. Why are they going to be scraps? Because the initial top ones were paid a premium for. They're done by hand. And a lot of them people don't want to pay the prices for them. And where do they end up? They're the people that appreciate them and that do pay the prices for them. So as a consumer, when you're looking in, if you want to, you know, just go buy some bucktail to tie flies, understand that you're going to kind of get the run of the mill and whatever's there. If you uh -huh. want to get a premium tail, you're going to pay for it. The time mm. involved in order to take these and make it a product is one of two ways. You do it like the places you were talking about, and you throw them in a vat of denatured alcohol, and you make it nice and quick, and they all turn out kind of okay. Or you do the long process way. In that process, it's kind of like musky fishing. There's pride in mm. it. Sure. There's a lot of work in it. Every time, every one of them tails is usually touched by hand eight, nine, ten times. There's that many processes involved. <coughs> working through that tail yep. and when it's done you get a great tail but you're gonna pay for it because it took time to get it there yeah so i mean hey. that's the tough part with them is there's only a couple ways to do it and one way is the easy way and one way is the hard way 
Hey, hey Mark, um, would you recommend a urologist for Chris? Because his piss is burning on this topic. You know, I can, I can tell his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. So what? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you something. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this on the show before, but like uh, back when I was using the uh, the W brand, um, um, I had to uh, – I made these, these forms – <laughs> oh man, I'd I'd love to set that thing on fucking fire. No, they fucking I... they totally fucking deserve it. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, because because of this reason, mate. But uh, you know, I used to set up these forms out of pipe cleaners. You know, like to 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 because they just would not tame underwater. You know, they were that stiff. You know, like a, to reverse tie it and to and to get it to sit back uh, yeah. with any sort of taper. Like you mm-hmm. had to, you 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 you're countering the the dam thread like of a, a reverse tie. Like you know, it's not. I mean, sure. Like, I mean, some of your first tie-ins, the thread might go over the bucktail a little bit. You might have a, like a, a type of cone in your in your um in your thread dam, but to but to clamp that 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 hair backwards on the hook and defeat the purpose of a reverse tie, it just seems ridiculous. You may as well tie a bucktail deceiver, you know? Um, yeah, I know so, what you're saying. You, you got to flip so, it and reverse it. You got to have the yeah. right shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 So because the idea, I mean, for those who don't know, like it's um. You know, when you're tying, like Bob Popovic teaches us that when you're retying a, a bucktail fly and you trust the process, part of that process is to run it under cold water to tame it and let it dry, and then the material will will sit where you want it to to create that taper. And that's a that's a type of bucktail that does that. Not not all bucktail. And um and you might think that like uh you know like like a lot of people know that when you when you take a picture of a wet fly, that's not how it looks underwater. In in fact. The way that you would you would gauge a fly to look underwater is how it looks on the vice, you know. And, and when you when you tame it, the 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 finished result is how it dries because how it dries is how it's going to sit under the water, okay. Um, but without without having the hair that would tame and sit there, like I'd run underwater and then I'd come back and it looked like it was shocked by electricity, you know. It was just sprung mm-hmm. out like it was ridiculous, you know. So I got so frustrated with it that I, and I wanted to tie hollows that badly. That I would make a a, a, um, a form out of like a like a coil out of like pipe cleaners, and I would sit it over and I'd dry it overnight, and and it would sort of stay there after about three or four sessions. But God, that's frustrating, mate. Like it was such a light bulb moment when I finally got hold of decent bucktail. It was it was crazy. So yeah, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, no, I mean. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, so I mean, like it must be, yeah, it's like uh, you know, these these patterns and stuff like that must have been pretty easy to to get into. Like you get, I've seen you get into a lot of flat wings lately too, Mark. Yeah, flat wings have been something a little bit of change. Yeah, they're fun. They yep. give you a different appreciation to fly time. They really do, and how to work with bucktail. Because hmm. like you're stating, you've got to use different types of bucktail. You've kind of got to use certain thread in order to get the you know the the. The feather itself, the lock into place with the, you know, the tension, and you you learn a lot in these flies, and you learn how very little it takes to really get the fish's attention. And I sent a lot of them into the salt water for stripers, and they were just they did fantastic to say the least. But you can't overdo them; got to keep them nice and sparse. Yeah, that's um that's another example of of letting bucktail breathe right there. Yes, and it's got to be the right type of bucktail. If you use the wrong stuff in that one, it will 100% affect that fly. Mm. What's the right type for a flat wing, mate? 
So in the back part of the flat wing, what you're going to use is you are going to use the hollow part of the flat, um, the flat wing there, or the, the uh-huh. bucktail. Bucktail, yep, yep. And you're going to essentially cut it on an angle, but whenever you're going to you're gonna put two light wraps on, and you're going to be holding that bucktail kind of almost vertical up above the hook, and you're going to pull it down tight. Once you pull it down tight, you're going to take your thumb and splay that hollow bucktail out. And what it's going to do is it's going to lay flat back there. So once you put a pillow, which is going to be your um, lower part of the feather fiber, the fluffy stuff, you kind of dub as marabou or dub on the, the um, thread. Yep. yep. That will sit level on there because that's nice and flat. And then what that does is that provides that feather to just sit and ride back there. And then as you move up into the fly, that's where you're looking for the softer, the crinklier, the stuff that's going to breathe and flow. You're going to use that up there, the complete opposite from what you used in the back. Mm. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. So it's, it's, it, that's right. We've, we've spoken about these these flies on the show uh, a, quite, uh, a bit recently um, because they're such an unassuming fly to look at. You think you think it's not to tie, it wouldn't be far off a deceiver, but they're such a... They're not that. I mean, once you understand the process, they're not. They're not hard, but they're a definite process. They're a definite and purposeful process. Yeah, yeah. It. I. I fortunately got my hands on both the books, and they made a world of difference. Kenny Abrams yeah. books are just. That's you know, it's it's a must-have if you want to get into flat wings. You've got to figure out a way to get your hands on them books. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, um, yeah, that would be that would be interesting to be able to get hold of. That's for sure, because it, um, they are an old, they are a really old pattern that um, I wouldn't say went completely by the wayside, um, but have just made a, a little bit more of a popular resurgence. We've got a tire over here that I think would be, you know, I think it'd be fair. He's a big fan of the show. Al, Al from Caterfly, he ties some great ones for GTs here. Um, you know, it's uh, I mean, and the the for gts as an example i suppose you know like it's it's interesting watching that that evolution of um of flies like this like a resurgence if you like or i mean i remember being on your show years ago saying that um well well brush flies are really popular going i don't know why people don't use hollows like they they cast they cast like nothing they carry no water they got nothing but nothing but action in the water they're not they're not dead when you're pulling through the water um because the 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 purpose of those fish is to be able to make a nice long cast without them realizing it's there and and yeah it's, it's it's flat wings hollows perfect for it you know but um you guys use them you guys use them you guys been using freshwater as well over there you know what I've, I've been and i've been messing with them in freshwater and i'm kind of building that up a little bit what i'd like to do with them is use them for pike because then i can get like a big seven to nine inch platform with them and they're very easy to cast hmm yeah, yeah, well that that's the thing. You, know, like you, you can easily achieve with uh, with good saddles and and good bucktail. Uh, you know, seven nine inch fly effortlessly. That that will swim and and all the material will in- integrate with each other. We just yeah. use those materials. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree too. They have to be um because you're using them in running water with for the pike, right? Or is it still? Yeah, it's still enough. I wouldn't consider it running water. No, it's still. Mm, okay. Yep. Yeah, very interesting, mate. Oh, wow. I feel I feel drained after um after ranting about Bucktail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's too it's way too early in the morning to be ending the day, you know, with a with a couple of <laughs> couple of tins, you know. But um 
fucking but, savage, yeah. man. You'll have yourself a gentleman's break and settle down. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, I might have to, man. Yeah, calling fish whistles over here too. But uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, look, man, it, it's cool. You know, my my work day's starting. It's um, it'll be right. I'll I'll calm down. I'll make brushes. I'll go into a state of meditation, and uh, I'll be fine. <laughs> I just know you're gonna find something on Instagram to piss you off. <laughs> yeah, I, I got I haven't been fishing through school holidays. I'm starting to realise at the end of end of two weeks of school holidays uh, that I need it in my life. Otherwise, I start looking for problems. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, school holidays are the worst. So how's uh, how's fishing been on your end? I haven't been for two weeks. Uh, well, I haven't been for more than two weeks. I went, I went away. And fished in uh, a tropical, tropical part of the world, and um, and since I came back, we hit the ground running. Then it was, then it was, um, then it was. Uh, I got the jab. I got that the COVID vaccination, and uh, that knocked me around a little bit. And then school holidays hit. Yeah, it's hmm. a pain in the ass. I've really? been. Um, I got it in the arm actually. <laughs> my, my sister's in bed right now with COVID and the vaccine already. So how's that? Oh for wow, you? she's been vaccinated and she's and she's sick. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's quite oh, wow. quite a popular thing. Is it really? Yeah, right. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. A lot of the people that are vaccinated are still getting it. Yep. Yeah, right. To um to a to a um an acute degree. Mm, to a strong percentage. Yeah. Yep. So they yeah. go to hospital, mate, or are they um are they uh are they double vaxxed and you know just crook at home? I mean, I mean, she works at a medical center, so I mean, or at a hospital, so I mean, she's you know fully yeah. vaccinated. She has it and passed it to my dad, who's not vaccinated, and they're not going about it any differently, and they're both in the same scenario. So it's wow. six yeah. and a half dozen any other. You tell me. Wow. wow. Well, you know what? If the vaccination opens up travel, um, and it and it doesn't do anything to the disease, still. Still, probably a good thing. I don't know. That's the way I look at it. But uh, I'm not. I'm not a doctor. I don't. I don't understand how it all works. But I do know that they're um, they're keeping us locked up without it. Which Seriously? Ah, uh, not technically no. But I mean, I can't travel to your country. You know, so to speak. Mm. You know. They you say. Know, they that, say no. That's what I mean. No. No meaningful travel will will um will happen until um till all Australians are you know at least eighty percent of eligible population double vaxxed. So, um, you know, and tourism plays a big part in our economy, uh, international and domestic um, tourism. And, uh, it's you know, something I'm sure the, the government doesn't take lightly over here. Um, it's, you know, a decision they've taken on board from the from our relevant health authorities. But, yeah, it's a it's a funny scenario. Hmm. That's interesting. Right, right hmm. now, where Chris and I live, um, just yesterday was the first day in a long time maybe oh, maybe a month that we've we actually had sort of new cases in in queensland where, where we live there so yesterday there was four new cases um but you know if uh we have if we go outside we have to um actually just if we go into a shop or, or a crowded place it's not our family we have to wear a mask and we have to we have to uh use a um a tracing app so we generally there's a qr code on the door of where we walk into and we've got to log in, start telling people we've been there. Um, but because we've got such low case numbers, um, they can effectively track and trace 
where we've, um, you know, if there's an outbreak and, and squash it pretty quickly. Um, we've been really fortunate in that we probably haven't had many deaths in Queensland. I can't remember um, the actual number off the top of my head, but it's it's quite small, the COVID-related deaths. But, it's only a couple of yeah. hundred or something, maybe, isn't it? Oh, if that, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but is that being, you know, too cautious? You know, what's the cost of, um, you know, of, of this low mortality? To, to the rest of the place and also like actually it's completely insensitive of me not to mention this yesterday there was a um um there was a, a suicide in um in quarantine from a you know in covid quarantine a guy guy couldn't handle it checked out so um you know there's a, there's definitely an untold cost of of um you know keeping us safe too so yeah it's pretty sad hmm that, that, bucktail, eh? that, that can yeah, that <laughs> can go way too political, way too quick. Because I can tell yeah. you what, something like that would go over like a fart in church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny that, isn't it? Uh, look, it, it definitely divides people. That's for sure. But uh, kind of like bucktail selection, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can get way too political, way too quick there, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All I can tell you is that there's no COVID in the bucktail. No, no, no like, that's right. There was, there wasn't there something. I remember speaking to you once. There was a. I listened to a show on Joe Rogan. They were saying that was something that could be carried in 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 deer hair products, like like mad cow, but for um, for deer. Really? Yeah. Do you uh, remember that? CWD, chronic waste disease. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that uh, seems like that. That. I mean, well, that, I have. I haven't heard. I've heard of it, and I heard of it a lot of you know, kind of certain areas. I've never heard of it in like our region or had any animals that I was aware of that have ever. I mean, that's one of the where if anything comes up, it's typically turned immediately into the state. Yeah, but it's, there's it's, usually we never see anything close to us. Yeah, yeah. okay, because it's a it's a pretty pretty gnarly um, disease by sounds of it, false. Like if you. Yeah. If you, yeah. if you want to be interested in it, there's a really good podcast on Joe Rogan. He's talking with a uh, United States Fish and Wildlife officer who, who specializes in it, and he uh -huh. believes it's there. And then the counter argument comes on, and it's it's Ted Nugent, and like uh, he says, it's not there. It doesn't exist at all. And um and both sides of the argument are actually pretty good. But one of the things I heard the uh, Fish and Wildlife officers say that like how long that pathogen lasts on things like um. Uh, like deer hair products, deer products, I should say, skins, whatever, meat, whatever, you know. Um, but uh -huh. deer can deer can catch it from just like if one, if a, if a deer saliva lands on a on a shrub or a plant, it can sit there for six months, and if another one eats it, I could be paraphrasing there, but it's a long time, a lot longer than, you know, twenty four hours, that's for sure, you know. But um, wow. um, and uh, and if they eat it, then then they'll contract it as well, you know. And it's uh, it's um, and the biggest risk is that they don't know if it can um it can cross species as in humans is, uh, but like Mark said, like if, if Mark's in the hub of the, of, of white country, yeah, you know, what? Know about it. the same thing there too, is that that almost brings it to a political point. Cause like I said earlier, I've heard mm. of it. I've heard of it being around areas. Mm. It's one of them ghost statements there. That's yeah. it. I've heard of it. Have I seen anything? Have I ever talked to anyone has ever seen it? Have I ever spoken to anyone of, any this distant relative of anyone that's ever seen anything to do with it no never yeah 
Is it something that I'm worried about? It wouldn't even remotely cross my mind. Not even in the slightest. I don't even, wouldn't even be in consideration going out hunting. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's kind of, each is their own. Everybody's going to, I guess if they, you know, want to worry about it, they can. But I don't know that that's something there that would, I don't know. I could I could use those parallels with COVID. The only person I've ever spoken to who's had COVID is um is Andy Mill. Okay. Yeah. Whole and and you're the only other person I know that directly knows someone with it. And like I mean, it's everywhere throughout the world. That probably says more about me than COVID, really. That um, I don't really like people that much. But um, <laughs> I've probably at this point known a dozen or more people that have had it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's man. I, I hope it clears up. I, I mean, I hope it clears up for everyone, no matter where you are in the world and where you're listening to this. It's it really does sad me to to hear all that sort of stuff. I mean, yeah, economy and 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 what you want to do aside, it's pretty devastating, really. At the end of the day, yeah, yeah. We don't. Yeah. Maybe we maybe we shouldn't be talking about it. Our aim is to bring people information and you know make them better yeah. fly fishermen, level up, and maybe even put a smile well, on your face occasionally. But I ruined like, that with the bucktail, right? Uh, yeah, I went there on COVID, so I apologise to everyone on my behalf. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to apologise for shit. No tangents for me tonight. I'm all clear. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, man, I, I, I think that uh, the redeeming features of this show uh, was was um, was you know letting you talk and um, the stuff that you revealed on this show at the beginning and and towards the end, mate, when we let you get a word in was um, was excellent, mate. Nothing worth a shit in the middle, though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Now it's it's been quite a while. We it's been. I mean, God, how long has it been now since we had like the joint show? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I I can find it's that out. Quite a while, and it's something that you know we were chatting the other day. I was like, let's let's resurrect this a little bit. Let's let's have a chat. It's been too long. Yeah, man, yeah. that was um that was super fun. It was, <laughs> it was a it was a fucking free for all, man. Like uh, oh, man, that show yeah. like just trying to get uh, a word in. I I was shocked. I was like a deer in the headlight with deer chronic wasting disease. Multi had CWD for that show. <laughs> the old muzzle loader with CWD, hey. <laughs> yeah, at some point you got to put them pennies together, and you got to come over here and catch a muskie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, now we're talking. Yeah, yep. Musky, uh, bowfin. Can I put that on the list? And an alligator guy. I want to do that as well. Oh boy, yeah. I have any alligator car close, but that'd be a sweet one. That's cool. Oh, there we are. Yeah. July, July 16, 2020. Oh, hang on, I've got a courier at the door. Two seconds. Yeah, yeah, July Mark. 2020. Um, yeah, so bowfin, are they a thing near you? I have a couple places we can fish them. Yeah, we catch if we catch them. Yep. Not a ton, but we do get some, and they like it real hot in the summertime. Yeah, they're right, a right. Uh, ferocious, just crazy animal. I can tell you that. Yeah, right. Do they pull hard? They do. They do you pull hear that? head thrash. They just everything. They don't really wow. jump, but they will. But they'll kind of thrash around at the top and just spin and thrash and barrel roll, and they don't stop even after you have them in your hands. They just they do not quit. Nice, nice. Mm. Yeah, right. They get big. They eat weird. They they like a very like slow, dead, almost dying, just twitching it, and it, it's it's a different type of fishing. Sure, sure. No, they look they look prehistoric. Like, 
you know, those coelacanths or whatever, that fish they discovered that, you know, deep in South, South Africa and Madagascar. Yeah. You know those ones? Those fossils? Yes, they definitely are. They're, they're an old, old search. Yeah, right. They look like a lot of fun. Yeah, they're cool. That's definitely a bucket list one to put on there for sure. They like bucktail yeah. deceivers too. So that's a good thing. Are you talking about Bowfin? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, yep, he's back. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a fucking door knocker, man. I got a big sticker on my door. No hawk, no religion hawkers, no collectors, no anything like that. God, that <laughs> frustrates me when they rock up like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Vaults. I don't like it. Like, first thing I say, can you not read that sign? And they go, yeah, but I'm not collecting money. I said, well, what are you doing? I'm here to tell you a bit. Oh, blah, blah. Anyway, I don't want to get into it, but God, frustrating. No. Anyway. Bolts his way for that knock on his window. Excuse me, sir. Can you please put your clothes back on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, the listeners probably know this because we, we spoke about it before we come on air, but yeah. I pulled up at a, at a, at a truck stop. He, he's and, pulled um, a super trooper. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm busting for a piss. Anyway, and uh, a few times I thought about hitting mute and just, you know, just sneaking off from you two guys and, and doing a quick piss by the side of the truck here, by my truck. And, um, and yeah, it's yeah. fucking, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's been, it's been too much fun. Oh, well. Look, man, um, I'm really trying to figure out another way to say we might wrap this puppy up because it's, it's really starting to get a, a phrase that gets coined. But, um, what do you guys say when you guys are ready to go, Mark? Anything we haven't hit on that you want to hit on yet? <laughs> ah, yes. Oh, there we go. There we go, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll, I'll do that in, like, okay, uh, like chat esque form. Hey, hey, is there anything we haven't hit on yet? Yeah. That's how you sound like him, too. Hey, he's got that, he's got that energy right at the end, you know? I thought of something we haven't hit on yet. Um, I know we'll mention it uh, in the um, – in the um in the instagram and 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 facebook post but um where can we find you mark on on instagram yeah it's under uh urban fly co urbanflycompany.com yeah instagram facebook uh website all of the above urban fly co excellent excellent yeah i was going to bring up the website do you go check out the website it's a great site get your flies get your stuff get your merch because we've got merch on there we do. Got shirts, got coffee mugs, got stickers, got some goodies there. Uh, guided trips. It's starting into that time of the year now. October, yeah. November, December, we're going right into the meat of musky season. So the next three months are going to be prime. and There's going to be a lot of time on the water. Let me put it this way to our to our listeners in the, in the United States. that um, We can tell from all the way in Australia that Mark's the real deal. You need to get out in the water with Mark. That's what you need to do. Should be pretty easy to tell when you when you're local. Come on, get on there. How booked? Are, are you are you booked, man? Booked pretty hard, or yet or not? October's still a fairly decent opening. Uh, it starts to get a little touchy come November, December, especially like into December. December's looking up pretty quick. October's kind of tough right now because we're waiting for that weather to shift, but it's gonna book up quick too. Yeah. End of September was busy. Had a real good end of September. We didn't even get to talk about smallmouth. We'll have to get you back on, mate. And uh, you can you can earn the Australian green and gold jacket eventually. <laughs> green jacket, gold jacket. Who gives a shit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting on my green jacket from the SVS. You know, it's um, I guess it's a metaphorical jacket, right? Yeah, it's still uh, USPS. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes perfect <laughs> it's, sense. It's yeah. customs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Mark. Let's let's let you go, man. I'm sure you got um, yeah, stuff to do. We got stuff to do. It's been a great <laughs> chat, and uh, I go load a raft into my truck. I gotta get up and go fish in the morning. Nice. Well, yep. we'll be keeping an eye on your socials, mate, to see how you go. But, um, man, some of those fish that are coming <laughs> out of the side of that raft have been awesome. Oh, yeah. We've got a couple good ones lately. It's been fun. Yeah. See you tomorrow, guys. Yep. All right, Thanks, man. Dude. Okay. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Well, I told you I might get a little bit passionate about it, but uh, I feel like I, re- I feel like I reeled it in by definition. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I I've heard you had bigger sprays, but I'm not sure if they were on air or not. Definitely heard you go harder, but you know, <laughs> listeners, you got to be aware that you know you're getting you're getting diet, Chris, on the, on on the podcast <laughs> like you know Chris Adams Max, you know. So, with that, like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Chris Zero, Chris Zero, yeah, yeah Zero Chill, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Look, I mean, some of it's going to be redacted for sure. Is uh, it? It's going to have to be, I think. Um, sometimes I get so caught up in the conversation that I sometimes forget, you know. But because uh, I had plenty of conversations with you, had plenty of conversations with Mark, it's uh, and and Ali guests are the same. And there's been plenty of times I just sit there going, "Oh yeah, we're getting recorded." and i forget yeah and then regret and then i stop collaborate and listen (laughs) and edit after listening and collaborating who who needs friends anyway mate you know Mm. fucking overrated yeah you said you said in the intro mate that you might have some questions did you get them all out um there was one i was sort of gonna ask but i I didn't want to seem dumb, so I didn't ask, eh? Um, and you got to remember there's no such thing as dumb questions, eh? I know, I know. Just dumb but... people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the cliche for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, just looking at some of his photos there on Urban Flyco on Insta, um, you know, we spoke a lot about the bucktail and everything up the front of the, the, the fly, but not as much probably down the back like um there's a lot of uh there's a lot of materials down the back you know and some of the flies is flash but a lot of saddle hackles and and all of that mm. what's what's the the main purpose for the for the the bulk the style of feather and um the choice of of flash materials down there what, what's the what's the what's he trying to achieve there um all right, so I guess you know I, I'm I'm not Mark, but I can probably have a pretty good stab at this because you know I, the the style that I know was was taught from Mark. Okay, so yeah. um, to my knowledge, you know, like um, that might not, that may not suit 
Australians that much. Sure, it would. But I guess it would be a matter of um, not so much copying the style of the fly for, for Aussies. And I know I'm going to get to your, answer your question. But, you know, they're doing that because it suits the prey, you know, the fish that they're chasing. So, yep. you know, um, uh, predatory fish like pike are going to react pretty well to a pretty flashy fly. And uh, and that's known both in the... Um, in the uh, Americas and the Europe European uh, fish, you know, that um, mm-hmm. I think musky uh, to a degree as being another Esox species are probably pretty similar in that respect. That um, that level of flash is just going to add to that that reaction. Or, you know, if you want to put it around the long way, the ability for that fish to make a decision to do something in a split second, mm-hmm. i.e., a reaction. So. As far as putting that stuff in there, you know, like, I mean, flash is not something that's going to affect the action so much. Some, some, obviously some flash would, but that's really going down a different path. We don't really mm-hmm. want to bog ourselves down with that to coin Bill Mitchell in the pod, in the, in the, um, in the fly line episode. It's a way to just block off a tangent just by saying that I've noticed, which is, I'm going to use that more. We're not going to bog ourselves down with that. Um, <laughs> I didn't notice he did that. He did that several times. I thought it was quite clever. I'm like, oh, I could see... Because that's what we got stuck with the fly-on episode was tangents, tangents big time. Tangents, Tangent land. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, rabbit holes, you call them. Yeah, rabbit holes, tangents. We're not going to bog ourselves down with this conversation either, Volts. So um, the, the, <laughs> tried the addition... Hard. Yeah. <laughs> tried hard to distract you with a tangential direction, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. addition of um, saddle and, and, and bucktail, it's just, just adding movement in the water. Like, it's... um. You know, the saddles are great to, to, you know, interact with bucktail if you can let the bucktail breathe because it creates a lot of movement with a solid shape as well. The, um, the addition of saddles in amongst there, you know, we all know how much well, how well feathers move in the water. But, uh, you know, the same way, the same way um, a flat wing works, if you understand that. You know, like I mean, any fly deceiver, all that sort of stuff. You know, like the the um, the feathers just move like like little snakes. They're great. But um, I don't know if you want to get into the technique of what of the way they're tied in, which we probably shouldn't. We really bog this outro down. But, um, you know, the use of flash and the use of sa- saddles are part of the pattern for sure. I think you'd be amiss to tie Buford without the saddles because, you you know, you really you'd, – you'd, you'd be it, – it probably wouldn't have the appearance of, of that presence, you know, that being a big fly without those saddles in there, you know? Yep. And to, and to try and do that all with bucktail – you would have a he would have a fly that would not breathe, you know. Uh, if you were to put that much bulk in the back, you would be having it lighter at the front, and then that sort of contradicts the um, the basic principles of, of 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 turbulence at the front creating action at the back. If you yeah. know what I'm saying, I know what you're saying. Yeah, well, let's not bog ourselves down with that, mate. Next question. Okay, so <laughs> you mentioned that the, a lot of these were designed for esocks and um, so muskies, pikes. Um, like he mentioned, a lot of the hits, they prefer to those fish prefer to T-bone them, almost like a Spanish mackerel. Like you draw that conclusion or that um, sorry likeness between the two, mm. the way they feed. You know, so they're hitting a prey from the side. Um, so yeah, you know, obviously that sort of side, what they see sideways is, uh, you know, from side on is really important. Yeah, exactly. Well, that that the way that fly works, as Mark pointed out. The um the the spun deer hair head at the front is not a not about not to a degree yes you want a fly that's going to push water create a sodding mm-hmm. signature no doubt but it's more about the action achieved right mm-hmm. 
because again, like the same way the addition of Flash suits those Esox species, um, though that that action appeals to the way that they, you know, having a having a fly that stops and turns on its side and presents itself, you know, can is is um, I guess is known by fishermen through observation to entice a, a strike better than uh, a fish that's complete just following following a, a, a straight a fly from straight behind. If you know yeah. what I mean, yeah. And and I guess that that lends weight to that the figure eights as well. I mean the figure eights aren't about just keeping it you know, keeping it in the water longer. It's about changing direction and enticing that strike from the change direction. You know you need to ask yourself as um as a as a fisherman of a different species that's looking to use that fly to operate under the guise of transferable skills, whether mm. your species you're chasing uh, will be would would be a, would be um, attracted to the same action. Before making that decision to use that fly, sure, yeah. Well, that and that's something that can only come through experience and mm. you know, and asking around, I guess. But um, yeah, sort of, sort of fascinating that um, you know how the, how they've developed the the pattern and sort of where it end, you know, where it's ended up so far. Yeah, you know, yep. Where do yep. we go from here? Is it, does it get adapted to to other feeding preferences for other species across 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 the globe so to speak but it comes down to experience on the water you can't just go you could not you could not learn uh or have any experience with offering people guidance with bufords without fishing them you know Mm -hmm. um i was when i started tying commercially i was lucky enough to have um dan dingle put his put his hand up as a as a stunt pilot you know in that respect so um yeah yeah, so I was sent, I was sending them to him, and I was basing my basing my observations off um off oh sorry basing my techniques off what Mark was telling me, um and I was sending them to Mark to, to have a look at what do you think of this, and then I'd send it to Dan for free, and then he'd go fishing, and like because last thing I would want is Dan to go, you know, go to Lake Mawala where he was fishing, and mm. um you know pay for accommodation and and t- spend the weekend away from his friends and family and waste his time on the water. Uh, and having paid for a fly, you know, mm-hmm. so um, so now he was willing willing to do that and stuff like that. And as I said in that podcast, there, I'm I'm 99 sure unless someone comes forward because I'm not aware of it. Um, you know that that Dan's the first person in Australia to catch a Murray cod on a Buford, that's for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, but anyway, good one, Dan, good one, yeah. mate. Good one, Danny D. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, no, man, it's um. One thing that um, we didn't bring up in the show that I wanted to, I kept, I thought of it, and the subject kept changing, is I wanted to ask Mark to explain the difference between an Instagram head, as those guys over there call it, and and the way they trim their their heads on their Bufords, because you'd only need to go to his page to see it that like they're not they're not beautifully manicured shaped heads on those things. Yep. You know. They hack into them with with scissors. They 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 don't want an Instagram here. They've learned, and they're not doing it because it's cool. They're doing it because what they've learned on the water. And that's what I was the point I was sort of getting at earlier as well is that, you know, um, I, eventually I went down to Dan invited me down. I fished I fished Lake Mawala with uh, with Ross Vert and uh, and Dan Dingle for about I don't know three days just just all casting. I was casting those Bufords and I was fishing on a on a um on a fast sink line. No mm-hmm. wicked action, eh? Like just just dancing in such a small small um actually i was fishing an intermediate line because all the weed over my whale just over the top of it um um i didn't catch anything um for three days 
which is standard mawala fishing from what I can tell. <laughs> but um, but it was just a such an interesting action, you know. Like you could you could work it, you could you could change it up. It didn't have to do the same thing every time. It was just it was such an interesting action. It was it was pretty cool. I can see why um, it's such a popular fly. It's a clever design. Brad Bowen's done really well to, to come up with that. Brad Bowen's got some great fly designs actually, and he really really goes under the radar for the flies that he's designed and come up with. You know. Yeah, yeah, he does, eh? Yep. Um, where can we see Brad? Is it musky? Uh, mus musky country, pretty sure it's called. Yeah, right. Um, I'm just going to check that, actually, because it'd be good to send people there. Um, yeah, one of the flies that I, I, I used to tie from Brad's, actually, which uh, Nick Knight got me onto, was a, was a, was a worm hook back, back ages ago. Like, um, I tied that on, um, oh, what is that? I'm, I'm going to find this hook because this is pretty interesting. It comes up a lot, actually. And I've drifted off on a bit of a tangent, but it's a worm hook. And I know Arix have got their PR378 that's coming out, but this owner brought out a hook years ago um, that that was a worm hook that Harrow designed um, that for Barramundi. It was the same thing. I tied on that, but um, it, um, it's an interesting design what Brad came up with. It was um, just look at rummaging around for that hook packet now. Um, interesting design what Brad came up with. It was like a worm hook that was tied on a, a mono extension, like a like had a mono extension tied off the tieable shank, and you would tie the majority of the body on like a tube, like a like a like a tube fly tube, you know what I mean? And you would um thread thread the mono through it, burn the end of it so it stayed there. So you had a body, an extension of that shank that drifted into the body of that worm hook, um, and then you would build the head just on that tieable shank, you know. At, um, and uh, I tied that for Nick. Jeez, when I first started, it was called Flies That Work. Jeez, that would have been 2015 or something like that, you know. And that was an old fly then when, when I saw it, you know. But um, I can't find those owner hooks. Um, I'm sure there's people who know about them. But um, I'll look up Brad Bowen's. Maybe it's not Mus Musky Country. I think it is, though. That's me. Brad Bowen. Musky country, yeah, outfitters, yeah. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. So I haven't been on his website for a long time, but uh, there's 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 some good flies on there, some good, really good information. He, he really, um, he's a good dude, Brad. Like, I, I tried to get bucktail off him a long time ago, and he, he, he spent a lot of time talking to me and stuff like that about it. Um, and his website's got a heap of information on it as well. A good website to go and check it out for sure. Yeah, right. Um, I just want to circle back around on... Nice. Sorry. Nice. No, sorry. I just like I, I like the um the circle back around. <laughs> on Let's the... not bog ourselves down with these um these sayings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just on the topic of fly lines, um, and well, how more importantly with the fly line in relation to the fly, mm -hmm. uh, or more to the point, the leader. Um, so did I get that right in that the um. The leader and the fly is below the sorry. The leader and fly lines below the fly. Is that the intention? Yeah, that's what he said. So that that just keeps. It, it, when he was saying that, it reminded me of a DK dancer actually. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the DK dancer is pretty different because the, the the toe point is behind the front of the fly, but um, still, you've got you've got it because you know, like I when I was making that when I was fishing my own. Um, um, Bufords, and when I was teaching, when I was not teaching, when I was giving them to Dan, it found it a really fine line. I was spinning bucktail on it. No, Mark spins belly hair, oh, not belly hair, body hair, very different, 
to each yep. other. Um, and I was spinning bucktail on there, and I found it was a really fine line between making them too buoyant and and not or not buoyant. You know, like you really need to fish them to be able to tell what's what density you need in that in that head. You know, it took me about I don't know seven or eight flies to to and, and the time it took to get them to Dan and Dan to put them on the water and give me feedback and stuff. Um, yeah, uh, I used to test them in my own lake, but I didn't fish them. I just test them, so it's not a real accurate thing, but. It definitely wasn't a test tank, if you know what I'm saying. You know. And what what sort of had what sort of action is the you know how do you know you've got the right sort of action? It, what does it look like? I I think the um the best action is that it's um that it's it's slowly slowly rising up, you know, and that way it keeps the fly line and the leader underneath it all the time. You can strip it, and you can pull yep. it down to the to the level of the fly line. You know, that way you pull it down, you can, it, it dances, you know, as well. Like it's, um, and, and being unweighted, we already know that, um, the, that as unweighted as you can get a game changer for, as an example, the, the better the action, the heavier it is, or the more dense the material is, the, the less of the action. The same thing in, in, um, in my experience, and I, I wish we covered this because I would have been interested to hear what Mark said about this as well. Um, although you're fishing them on like fast sink lines, like, you know, type, type eight, so sink eight lines and stuff, or sink six and stuff like that lines. You're yeah. still getting a fly that sinks quite well, like a DK dancer, you know. But is um is is uh is more is at least a lot more buoyant than the fly line. It might not float, but it will sink a lot slower than your fly line. You know, so let's put it that way. Sure. The ones sure. the ones that I tie like would 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 rise up really slowly. You know, like really really slowly while the fly line's sinking. You know. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. But you know, you're never sitting there and um and you know checking your phone and stuff between strips. It's it's literally, you know, you got a fly line. When I was fishing the intermediate line, it's it's sinking at one, one point two five inches per second, less actually. Oh no, it'd be more in, in fresh water than it'd be probably at one and a half inches per second because those those sink rates are measured in salt water, which is more buoyant. Um, so you know, the fly is probably rising at the same rate. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's I imagine why. With all those different, sorry to cut you off, all the no, different um, different shapes um, and, you know, the variability in both the material and the density of it, um, you could end up with a complete myriad of, um, of uh, swimming actions. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, I mean, like, the bigger the head... If you could have a, a head that's um I mean this is this is this is the beauty of bucktail in it, natural materials. I mean you could have a head that's um that's uh less less dense in material but bigger in diameter and achieve the same buoyancy as something that's that's smaller but more densely packed. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a it's a real you the, the fly tire needs to learn through observations on the water before they can they can present it really you know to to other people i guess you could say as a commercial tire but even as a recreational tire tying these things you need to give it time you need to give it time and experience on the water you need you need you should be you should be interested in the observations of your own work and and learning from it and um and even trying to create examples of the extreme scenario of it you know like two point or less or not enough there just to learn what that actually means you know as far as yeah. um what you're looking at on the vice yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. There's no shortcut, is there? You just gotta you just gotta do it. 
Nah, you can't you can't expect that from yourself to just you know bang out one fly and go killed it, you know. Yeah. And I guess that's what those dudes yeah, over there talk about when they talk about Instagram heads as well to a degree. I mean, it's the same everywhere, mate. You've got guys of experience watching other guys cash in on what they're doing, and you know, to some people, fly tying is 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 a is just as much a hobby as fly fishing, and that's fine. I guess it depends on the angler or the or the um or the consumer of this information where they decide what they want from it. They want yeah, to tie a pretty fly or they want to catch fish. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, and that's what it all comes down to with the information I guess we offer, the the guests we have offer, magazines, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. You know, it's up to you, the consumer of the information, to decide what you want. Yeah, Instagram. And apply the filters. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you have it, mate. Is that our longest outro? Could be. I don't know if we did a comprehensive bucktail special, but I think we um, I think we did a pretty like a, we could we could call this a bucktail special, right? You reckon? If we have to, yeah, I I think so. It's but yeah, it's, it doesn't get too much more comprehensive. I, I can't think of a topic we <clears throat> subtopic we didn't tap tap on there. So. Bucktail is um is is it got the potential to be a fly line episode because there's so much, so many uses for it. Mm. True that. Yeah. Too many, too many to list. You know, it take a lot of preparation. I think you could, if you were to prep up for every use of bucktail, you could really only do a three hour show and spend ten minutes on each subject. You know, this is true. Yeah, so let's not attempt that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we we should move on. And we've got a pretty good guest next week as well, uh, yeah, coinciding with coinciding with trout opening. Yep, we're yep. given we're given trout another go, folks. We're not done yet. <laughs> we haven't finished abusing them yet. No. Yeah. yeah. No. No. We haven't we haven't finished abusing trout, debasing the southern states. Um, <laughs> we're just, just scratching the surface. Yeah. <clears throat> I think at the point when we get death threats. That's when we're sort of like, we're getting we're getting close then, eh? Yeah, yeah. Now we know we've done our job then. I got death threats online online talking talking ill of trout once. Did you know that? Did you really? I, I I'm not going to talk about whose post it was, but it was along the lines of I, I I put a question in there about what's the problem with stocking Australian bass in Victoria in, in, as opposed to trout. I don't get it, and it was an honest question. People people yeah. didn't take it that way. I was just trying to educate myself. <laughs> I literally was, but whew, Jesus, got a strong reaction. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. I was really taken back by it. You know, changed the locks on my my front door. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. Oh, I did, mate. I did hide security. <laughs> a, sl- a Slovenian man uh, named named Bruno in that. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. Bruno camped out the front for three weeks straight, and I said, um, "If anyone approaches in waders, mate, you're on. Take him down. Yep. Take him down, Bruno. Over and out." All right, mate. This is <laughs> getting silly. Let's fuck. It off. is getting silly because of our uh, sleep deprivation. Yeah, let's go. Right, on, mate. Ta da. Bye. Happy birthday, too, mate. By the way, not for ages, but thanks anyway. Yeah, you're welcome. See you, man. Bye.
Does it feel the same?